Hey everyone, Tom here, back with a quick intro for another compilation episode. Today we are going back through, we are unearthing the Alpha Talica archives and looking at all the episodes where we covered the band's classic album and Justice for All. Just before we do that, as always, follow us at MetallicaPod. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Please support us on Patreon as well. At the time of me releasing this episode, there are two huge things on the Patreon that you can listen to first. You know, they'll be on there for months now. I'm really stringing out that content. Um, so we've got the the mega history that I did with Jack, which is almost three-hour exploration of everything that you don't really know about Jason Newstead. That was a fantastic episode of Reduce This and Myself. And then just recently, I had Mark on. Me and Mark went back, we re-listened to Hepfield's appearance on Joe Rogan, we dissected the whole interview chronologically, and, you know, Mark less so, but certainly me, majorly, I'm a pretty big Rogan fan, I mean, you you know, I'm 27, I was 19 when I got into Rogan like 8 years ago, so I've kind of, he sort of raised me as a wolf-like father figure, so, you know, I wax lyrical on Rogan, and we talk a lot about the interview as well, so if you... Sounds like content you might enjoy. Go support us on Patreon. But today we are looking back on nine episodes. So I just want to give a quick thank you to all the guests that we're going to get into shortly. So the first episode, of course, is Blackened. That was episode 15 of Alpha Metallica with the mighty Ethan Luck. The second episode is And Justice for All. That was actually episode seven, really early episode, with Sam Wiles. Sam has been on the show many times. Sam, who I did, of course, my Tom Waits podcast with, and Sam, who is often on my, uh, my pun podcast, Pun It. Episode 3 was with a great friend of the show, Kevin Van Damme. Uh, that was actually Alpha Talica 46. That was I, the Beholder. The fourth episode is 1, number episode 107 with Aaron Martell. Now, this was funny listening back because Aaron actually does one of my favourite podcasts currently. And I discovered this at the end of this show. So, listen to me and him talk. And I'm so familiar with his voice now. It was quite a uh, treat. He does ridiculous rock record reviews, which, you know, for my money, Pound for Pound is one of the best rock music criticism podcasts out there. Definitely check that out. Episode 5. God, there's just a, a litany of stars here at Alpha Metallica. Episode 5 is with Dave, beloved Dave from Scotland, and that was episode 126 of Alpha Metallica. That was the shortest straw Dave's favourite Metallica song. Song 6 is Harvester of Sorrow, which was episode 62 with Matt Bird. Number 7 is The Frayed Ends of Sanity with Ian Kay. That was Alpha Metallica 53. The penultimate episode, of course, is the um, elegiac instrumental To Live Is To Die. That was episode 142 with Brad Rathburn. And finally, of course, is song 9, Dyer's Eve, which is number 41 with Lucas Souza. So, um, yeah, if you're not familiar with the concept, what I've done is I've stripped out all the intros and the outros and pretty much just give you the, uh, the, the, the innards, the, you know, us just discussing all nine of these unbelievable songs. So, um, yeah, I'll stop blabbering. The next episode proper you'll see on Alf Metallica will be the uh, mega history that I just mentioned, the Jason Newstead one. Then we'll do the St. Anger compilation. Then we'll do the Rogan episode. And, you know, I'm thinking what to do next, really. Obviously, there'll be a compilation after that, probably Kill Em All. I mean, I'm almost ran out of albums. But in terms of, like, original OG Alpha Talica content, I still need to do some kind of monster. I don't know why I haven't done that yet. But I'm actually making notes for uh, when Metallica headline Glastonbury pretty much almost finished my notes. That's going to be a solo episode. And that's been really, really fun to put together. So, uh, yeah. Without further ado, here's Blackened.
get to now a song like Blackened, um, which is a song we're getting to. Obviously, I mean, if we play our cards on the table, even one of the best Metallica songs ever. I mean, dude, we did, we did a top 10, you know, me and Clint picked our top 10 Metallica songs and top 10 deep cuts. Mm. I mean, I'll come right out of the gate and say it. Blackened is my favorite Metallica song. Wow. Number one. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I, I mean, for my money, I, I think even if it wasn't my favorite song, I think Blackened is arguably the best lead off track of any Metallica record. Yeah. Yeah. I think. That whole in- the intro, just the suspense builds up to what's coming. It's so good. Oh, man. It's incredible. And that intro, it's kind of an anecdote, uh, sort of antidote, really, to the first, to the second and third albums, which kind of open with the classical interludes. This one's uh-huh. almost, I don't really know how to describe, but it has a pulse to it. It's kind of backwards, kind of sequenced. And it, do- it yeah. does, like, you know, the kind of the catch and release from that into that main right. riff is just, it's raw. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, have you, you you know that it's actually a part recorded played Mm. backwards. Have Mm. you heard the original version? I've I've heard it's very impressive. I I can't actually remember it. It's cool. You can just Mm. go on YouTube and type in, you know, blackened intro, you know, reverse or whatever, and it'll come up and it, it's just as cool sounding, but obviously not as iconic because we've been listening to that record for so many years. But yeah, when I first found that out, I had to listen to it and I was like, oh my gosh, because it always sounded in reverse, but I never actually heard the other version. Yeah, yeah. And that main riff that kicks in, that I believe is a legacy of Jason Newstead. Um, I think he brought that to na 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 You know, yeah. that, that riff, I don't know about yourself, Ethan, I know you're kind of an accomplished musician, but to my ears, when I, when I first heard it, it caught me off guard. There's quite a lot of extra notes in there that kind of throw you a little off center really well. Yeah, the the, 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 the timing of it is a little weird. It took me a long time when I was younger to really understand I thought when the drums came in, it was just more of a backbeat thing because Lars is notorious for not coming, you know, not hitting the crash on the on the downbeat a lot. So in this song, for instance, he starts on the snare drum, you know, after there should, you know, there should be a kick and crash before that. So it always threw me off. And then when it came in, uh, you know, to the next riff, I thought, oh, there's there's one measure short. Maybe that's just what they did on purpose. But it's just the style that, you know, Lars recorded it in. Yeah, it's it it just has this explosive intensity, and it's worth considering. Um, I suppose the context of this song, of course, is the opening track of the first album without Cliff Burton. Um, yep. You know, I recently had Ray Burton on the show, which is a which God, is, so cool. Yeah, man, that was a crazy interview. Um, you know, you guys should reach out to him honestly and have him on the show, yeah, like we, you know. Yeah, I, man, we definitely want to. I mean, he's he seems like he's the, the kindest man and is always happy to talk about his son and, and, and that history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolute gentleman. I urge people to go and uh, listen to that. But yeah, it was, I was just doing a bit of history because I wasn't quite aware of the exact dates here. So it was um, September 27th, um, 1986, um, during the European leg of the uh, Damage Inc. tour that Cliff, you know, was involved in the accident. Yeah. And the album was recorded January 1988. So, you know, a year and a bit-ish from Jason joining <clears> to the band. So quite, quite a long time, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and obviously, we, as we know, I mean, Jason got, you know, he got thrown mm. <laughs> right into it. And, you know, obviously, the, all the stories of, you know, them hazing him and stuff like that. But, I mean, obviously, some huge shoes to fill. And, you know, regardless of the, the <laughs> what people argue about over the years is the mix of this, where you don't really hear any bass on this record. I mean, still, what a record for him to come in on, man. I mean, and especially, like, you know, after Cliff died, it's like, man, what's Metallica going to do? Okay, they got a new bass player, they're moving on, and all of a sudden, Justice for All comes out, and I mean, I'm sure it just blew people's minds. Yeah, 
yeah it's it's kind of in this post pantera kind of age you know where you've heard every sort of iteration of a guitar and how heavy something heavy can go like yeah. this really like master of puppets this i love it don't get me wrong there's something very classic and austere about the sound whereas sure. here i mean same core musicians essentially same producer you know same era but oh my god some of the some of the riffs some of the sounds like sledgehammers Oh, dude. I mean, I think some of the best Metallica riffs of all time are on this one record, yeah. you know, and especially on Blackened. I mean, there's not one riff throughout the entire song that I'm like, oh, that's OK. Every <laughs> single part of the song, it blows my mind. I mean, and especially, you know, this opening track, I mean, lyrically, even it's like it's so yeah. dark about the end of the world. And I'm almost positive it's about nu- nuclear war, mm-hmm. you know, Um mm-hmm. I mean, it's some, it's some heavy stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it makes... It, it, even the title, Blackened, um, for me, like, it's very... It's an iconic, very powerful title, you know, that kind of scorched kind of uh, atmosphere it gives you. And I've always I've always felt... I don't, know, I don't know if you felt this or any listeners have felt this. Sometimes bands can do things, and it's like, okay, that's the band, leave it alone. So, obviously, this is a song, Blackened. Machine Head, great band. They had yeah. an album, I believe, called The Blackening, which, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. which I was always a bit like, dude, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine, yeah, but it's it's a, it's a little it's a little close. It doesn't annoy me quite as much as a band that I used to like. Do you remember Rise Against? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I was on Warp Tour with those guys. Were you? Were you really? Yeah, yeah. With my old band, uh, this is probably 2008. Yeah, Rise Against was on there. Oh, really shit. nice dudes. Oh shit! I want to I want to I, I get back to that actually because I'm quite a fan of those guys. But one little mark in their blotter from me, their name was always very close to Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was yeah, that, that ever just, felt? Or uh, I mean, I don't think it ever really bothered me too much, just because their <laughs> st- their styles are so different. And you know, I I, I do like Rise Against. I, you know, there's a couple records I definitely mm, really mm. like. You know, and uh, oh, um, Suff- know, Suffering the Witness. Do you know yeah, that one? Suffering the yeah. Witness is great. That's my favorite one. Mm-hmm. They, honestly, um, for a time period, the album after that as well, I think Appeal to Reason um, is is dope. They they are a really good band. Yeah, oh, they're great. Like you know, they kind of they're one of those bands that if you were to read their tab, it looks I don't I don't want to demean, but it looks quite simplistic. You know, they play quite power chord kind of stuff, but it's very impactful. Um, great sense of melody. Oh yeah, you know, their singer writes some great melodies, and uh, there's even a couple songs where they have just you know, on purpose to tempo changes, but it works so well. It's a tough thing to do. Um, like I mean, for instance, Blackened. I mean, when that mm-hmm. goes into the bridge, that slows down drastically in, in tempo, um, and rise against did it really well and i mean obviously on black and metallica did it almost perfect <laughs> yeah it's that it's that riff that for me i did an episode earlier on it's on the channel check it out um top 10 metallica riffs and i think number one was actually uh, the black and riff that oh yeah good. it's like for me it's really intelligent note choices a real arch sense of the world being tipped upside down. And then it's James barking those opposition, contradiction, you know, planet oh. dies. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, and that that's – it's almost like this part of the song where he's, like, driving his point home of, like, you know, this is what's going to destroy Earth, you know, termination, termination expiration, cancellation, human race. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> See our mother put to death. See our mother die. It's so dark. Oh, when, I was a ki- when I was a kid, I didn't get what the hell this was right. about. But the older I got, I'm like, oh, he's kind of a hippie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like – 
and the chorus is great as well where the where the sort of guitar chords obey what Hetfield's doing sort of thing you know yeah. they pulse out on the fire and then the kind of almost dead tempos you know it has a great sense of theater some of my favorite Metallica choruses do that exact same thing you know even on that was just your life like I feel like that chorus is very similar um yeah, I, I mean, I feel it's, to me is such a good songwriter, and especially in metal, you know, you're you're not often just playing three chords, and you're doing stuff that's you know a little less traditional in in a major scale or a minor scale, mm-hmm. and so he's always done a really good job of of writing his vocal parts around these really cool chord changes, and I've always admired that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, James's way of kind of just singing along with his playing. I remember those interview. You remember Trivium? Oh yeah. There was an interview with the main guy from Trivium, Matt Heafy, um, and they were saying like, oh, you know, they often get the Metallica, you know, sort of um, comparisons. And they were saying, how'd you get so good at playing all these riffs? And he was like, I used to play Sanitarium as a kid. It's like, I used yeah. to just sort of hammer that home, really. And Hetfield is the archetype for singing that stuff. I think, I think Lars and Influence dared people to sing the verse of Sad But True and play it. Like, it, 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 it's a brain teaser. Yeah, it is, man. Yeah, but I mean... God, we got to hand it to him, man. They've been doing this for 35 years, yeah. and and uh, I mean, for my money, it doesn't get any better than this. You know, I mean, a lot of there's a lot of cool metal bands out there, but I mean, you know, you you kind of owe it to Metallica, man. Those guys wrote the best riffs. I mean, to me, it's still, you know, the, I think one of the, the you know, if you could find a worst riff on this record, I think it's still better than most metal bands' main riffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really were in their bag at this point. I think f- always, really, they've had quality riffing throughout oh, yeah. but um you oh, know yeah. and and the vocalism as well like you know when he says cholera well blackened like for oh, me dude. i used to never know what that meant and when i heard it it just got it even more that's some scary shit man yeah. <laughs> especially his delivery man you know that's the thing with it with, with the with the content of this song I, i'm always a big fan of when singers you know um kind of adapt their voice to 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 convey the emotion they're feeling or what they're writing about and so this is some really dark stuff and obviously, Hetfield's always had an aggressive voice, but I mean, it's especially aggressive on a lot of this stuff, especially on Color All, Our World Blackened, yeah. you know, and then going into the bridge. Um, yeah, it, he did such a good job of, of conveying the subject matter through uh, the tone of his voice. I, it's incredible. Like, one of those songs that you read on paper and has such an effect. I love the whole bridge. Darkest Color, Blistered Earth, True Death of Life. <laughs> that's, that's scary, man. That, that's it's, like, it's, it's a biblical. horror movie. <laughs> like, yeah, it's uh, and like you say, see our mother die. He repeats mother as well. Um, yeah. smoldering de- decay. Um, millions of our years in minutes disappears. Like, oh my god. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. When you're thinking, when you're thinking about you know, you know, a nuclear holocaust or whatever, it's like, I mean, uh, he's he's nailing it on the head with you know, um, you know, millions of our years in, in minutes disappears. That's that's yeah. That's so so fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something about the riff as well. The na 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 like it kind of speeds the song up. It's kind of like a shot in the heart of the song. You know what I mean? Whenever it comes on, yeah, it's, it's chaotic, of, man. Yeah. It's almost it's almost like you know that part of the song uh, is like you know let's you know it's the nuclear bomb coming down. Then the bridge is like it's getting closer and closer. And then by the time like Hammett's solo comes in, like that's the bomb dropping. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's and, um, and and even you know, like speaking of Kirk's solo, it's like 
that part right before the solo uh, to me is one of the most beautiful guitar harmony parts on any Metallica record and then it goes right into what I think is easily one of Kirk's best leads yeah 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 completely agree yeah the harmony is great extended something new not just playing on that master of puppets Finn lizzy aping stuff it's kind of yeah. odd and dissonant and yeah the kirk lead one of the things that i love about the lead it's such a wild ride really to tour de force oh it totally is man i mean he does some super creative stuff it's also very melodic at points mm-hmm. um i love i love when he he's able to write something that special that, that combines something very melodic and something very chaotic and somehow blends it all together and takes you on that ride through the solo section man it's great Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah no it's uh really quickly cleanly played and kind of just exaggerates that sense of sort of impending danger and hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and just yeah some of james's best stuff here lyrically riff wise vocal like you know the band are firing on all cylinders it's kind of uh, oh yeah you know encouraging beginning to an album um, yeah, and you know, and you know, they do the the, the somewhat classic thrash layout they, they've done a lot, where it's like the bridge happens, the B section, uh, like the, in this case, the harmony section before the solo, then the lead, and you think, okay, maybe one more chorus, and then we're done. But no, they go back into the intro, do a th- another verse, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know, it just take you on this ride for you know, what is it, seven minutes or something? <laughs> yeah, it's it's the time's interesting actually it's um six minutes 40 on so it makes it as like one of the um the the fourth shortest song on the album so it's not short it's not long (laughs) the fourth Uh, shortest the fourth shortest yeah um harvester dyer's eve and eye the beholder all shorter than blackened but blackened it doesn't have the repetitive nature of some of the longer songs on injustice yeah kind of like thrives because of the sound like a lot of people talk about this muted baseless blackened sound but something about it helps blackened i think um you know helps it sort of get its point across here and i, I just yeah I, I i enjoy this one very much actually and like I've, this song has grown on me through the years and always be a favorite oh yeah man and you know the, the whole lack of bass thing on this record um i mean it's basically you know non-existent you know mm. to our ears over the years of listening to this um but i've been listening to this record for so long that it doesn't seem abnormal that there's no bass there you know um it's it, i just it's in, it, ingrained in my head you know i've listened to this album i don't know how many thousands of times right. so uh but you know in the future would i like to hear a remix of this record absolutely <laughs> yeah oh my god i mean for me you know metallica did back to the front that i don't know if you've seen their um master of puppets mm-hmm. book um, i've got it sit, sitting right next to me right now <laughs> how how good is it that's amazing oh my god yeah it's such a cool thing to put out. i wish they would do that for every record oh that, that's what i'm gonna say man i think they should do an unjustice for all book and a real yeah, so cool. as well. oh that was just they got they got they got the stuff to do it they of course they do and you know i feel like justice of all their records is is the one that's kind of uh kind of been sitting in the shadows yeah by by the band almost you know they but we're getting to that, you know, next year is like 35 years since, it, uh, or sorry, 30 years since it came out. Mm. Um, so maybe a, uh, maybe a book and maybe a remix, who knows? Uh, that that would be so, yeah, that would be fantastic. Is it right that you, I believe you mentioned this on the podcast, you recorded bass for an Unjustice song just to. <laughs> I did one time. Yeah. Me, me and, a, me and a, a friend were talking about this, this very subject. And, uh, I got home that night and I was just kind of bored and I, you know, fired up my studio gear and I was like, you know what? I'm going to like record some bass along. I think I did, um, uh, I think I did shortest straw. Right. Yeah. I'll have to dig that up and email it to you. <laughs> nice. 
No, no, that's a tough yeah, song. It's a tough one, but it's fun. Um, there's a man. There's a bunch of those on YouTube and stuff. You know, Injustice for Jason yeah. and things like that. And I think it's cool they're doing that. Whoever kind of put it together, I, I feel like maybe the point was to mix the bass really loud, but it, it doesn't. It, it sits way too loud in the mix. So I kind of I listened to it a few times. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna hold my breath for a uh, Justice for All remix. Yeah, I, I gotta say, Jason is someone that I've always been a fan of. But doing this show, watching live shows, etc., for research, like you just like this guy, his energy, what he gave to Metallica, so admirable. Oh my God! Yeah, he, I mean, and in no disrespect to Robert at all, mm. but like Jason, you know, he was almost like, uh, you know, he was on, like in hip hop. There's always like a hype man, sure. And I feel like he was kind of that. In addition to being a bass player, I mean, he was the one that get the crowd going and like, you know, chant the haze. And I mean, mm. I mean, I'm surprised his his head is still on his shoulders the, the way he <laughs> had banged and stuff near that windmill. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Cr- yeah, he was just always going. It was uh, in- inspiring yeah, and blackened. Um, it does always go as well. So it performed 481 times live, this yeah. song. So, you know, very, regardless of, you know, I agree what you say about sort of And Justice being in shadows, but still songs like this, songs like One, you know, Harvester yeah. get, get get played regularly. Um, yeah. First performed September 11th, 1988 uh, in Budapest. And yeah. uh, last performed July 12th in Detroit. That's which is what I, me and Clint just went yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, that you, you saw the last live performance of Black. Do you remember seeing Black and what was Black and Light live last oh, time? Oh, it's great, man. Uh, so they, they they came back. Um, I actually have my uh, my set list from the show right here. I got a buddy that that, that works on the tour and he handed me a set list. Uh. Um, yeah, so uh, they do their seek and destroy thing at the front of the front of the stage in front of the snake pit. And then they walk off stage for the encore, and then I mean they don't they don't waste any time. It's not like some bands that go backstage for like fifteen minutes and you're sitting there going, "All right, get your asses out here and play more songs." They walked off stage, the lights went down, and within I'd say fifteen seconds, all of a sudden you heard the blackened intro, uh, and we all we all looked at each other like, "Holy shit, we're getting blackened!" Because that because <laughs> that's a slot in the set. They keep rotating songs. Mm. Sometimes it's fire with fire. Right. Um, when I saw them in Philadelphia on this tour, it was uh, battery. Um, but dude, it was, it was awesome. They do the thing live with black and like they do, um, uh, with, you know, a bunch of other songs, uh, hardwired and stuff where they play like a, they call it the intro tape. Mm. And so it's basically like the, re- the actual recording. Um, and so in this one, it's just that backwards intro. And then after it does the, dun, 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 and then all of a sudden James comes in with a boom, bam, bam, ba, da, da, da. Mm. and dude, people went fucking crazy. They just started oh, like, yeah. Oh, I was so rad. <laughs> It's and, so- and there's there's these sorry sorry to cut no you no out. I'm getting chills talking about this there there's so at the top of the stage I'm sure you've seen photos of the stage setup there's these huge white trusses and on top of there there's probably five or six tubes that you can't can't really see and that shoot fire out, out of the top so of course on the chorus where it says fire it's mm-hmm. just like out of the top of those comes these huge you know fire towers. It's it's just so great because you know people are like you know if you can critique the current tour you would just say oh they're just playing like the mainstream songs or whatever but it's great to see Blackened which is quite just at its heart a heavy difficult kind of song in, yeah, a, sta- in, a, in a stadium and everyone's just going mad. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and I felt throughout throughout a lot of the early part of the show the crowd was kind of dead for some reason. We kept mm. looking around like man, why are people not going crazy? Because in Philadelphia it was man, people right, were going right, right. nuts. Philly. But by by about three quarters of the way through the set, I feel like the crowd really woke, woke, had woken up. And then when they came out with Black and Man, everyone was definitely 
ready to party <laughs> and i mean you talked to me about the show before i appreciate you know you do metal at your podcast you're going to speak about this on the podcast soon you're going to be bringing out everyone who's listening please subscribe to their podcast it's so good <laughs> Um, so, you know, you, you're not unfamiliar uh, with Metallica, uh, up to me asking you to listen to this song, but you, but you said this was a new album. This is quite a different kind of Metallica within within the song and Justice for All. Far <laughs> denser. W- was it surprising to you? Uh, so I'd listened to the Black Album and Master of Puppets, and I kind of, I, I, I like the kind of, you know, more mass appeal quality of the Black Album, and then Master was kind of, oh, yeah, you know, I can kind of bang my head to this on mm. the bus. Uh, and from what I've read online and stuff, I do get that this is kind of the more roided up version of Master of Puppets. The songs are longer, the songs are louder, right. and there's 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 a lot more yeah, finesse and overlaying, and it's kind of getting a lot more complicated. Yeah. Blackens great. I love Eye of the Beholder. That's fun. Um, but I didn't rate it as 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 high as high as the the rest. It kind of loses steam for me as an album uh, towards the second side. I'm kind of less inclined to a lot of that nerdy technical guitar playing that right. doesn't appeal to me i'd rather have the pop album right 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 yeah but, you know it is it is a little bit more technical it's kind of like the beatles and revolver and sergeant pepper really, where it's getting kind of you know hard and hard for them to recreate their their studio sound in front of a live audience as well because i've seen so many youtube videos of this song they they perform this so much despite the fact that they claim to not be able to yeah. do it. um it's a it, it, it's, it's a by fan demand song oh yeah and there was there was one video that 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 really struck me. Uh, it was at the 2014 Rock AM Ring. Uh, oh concert. yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. Yeah, well, it was a bit patchy. Well, patchy to to, to say the least, because yeah. like, this is some recent stuff, and the band is on top of the world at at at, at, at this point. I didn't know until you explained to me a, a couple of months ago how big Metallica like were and still are. Mm. It's 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 really quite amazing. They're the biggest band in the world. They are the biggest and, band in the world. Yeah, and you know they do this kind of gimmick whereby the audience could vote for the next song for the band to play, and rather you know amusingly Hetfield remarks that the total number of votes for, for this particular poll in the concert was probably so high because they'd just played Saint Anger, and it was like so divisive. Right. And he said it was a misunderstood album, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And I after agree. some e- extensive uh, band sound mic checks and stuff, the scores, frankly, you know, it kind of squeaks into and justice for all. And it's you know oh crap none of the instruments are tuned in correctly ah. and then and then they're all playing the wrong parts as well it's a, it's a real oh, mess runnies are running on you know running on stage like hamsters everyone's looking really annoyed the crowd are just like stood still motionless kind of getting really irate then like they kind of like go okay right here we here we go again they dive back into the song again and then after about a minute and a half of again some kind of frankly wobbly and justice for all right. one of them really really fucks up i don't know who, uh, uh, i don't know if it was if it was the lead or rhythm sure. and it throws everyone else off and it takes the band two attempts to get into the song again it's a real shambles I, I, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah. of it i've heard of this really i've not bad. seen it yeah it's really bad yeah. i only remember it because the um rock am ring gig recently this year there was like a terrorist scare there but i was like oh god, oh god not 
don't hurt, don't hurt but Metallica, please. No, not James, not James. It wouldn't happen on his watch. But uh, yeah, no, it's interesting you say that. Actually, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't kind of grip. Maybe not so much. Obviously, those sort of technical stuff. You kind of have to understand the context for it, I suppose, to a certain extent. Where with the, with the death of the, you know, the sad death of Cliff and this kind mm-hmm. of guiding light in terms of like where to move the creativity, where to go with it, dealing with that grief, mourning, going very quickly back into the into the cycle of world touring and album, etc. You know, kind of like not not disrespecting it but just kind of you know moving on um there comes this sense of inwardness in the album of getting more complicated of getting longer and you know this is a long long song um in the mm-hmm. pantheon of metallica long songs and sometimes i think most of the time they they can pull it off really i think you know they've got a lot of songs i think they've got something like 20 30 songs above eight minutes or something in their back catalog. yeah they you know, do. They have... this is their fourth longest song fourth and longest, yeah. you know it's like Song length is is something that's kind of you know it it varies from person to person, yeah. but you know you've got Iron Butterflies in the Garden of Vida and stuff like that, and just these really long songs that are, that are real classic tunes. And obviously you've got a guy like me from Paul or Nothing, mm-hmm. and Paul McCartney is a guy who is obviously always so indulgent, and his songs always take far too long to end. And obviously this song and just for all at the end of the day it is far too long it yeah. doesn't it doesn't carry to the end the end the end of the song obviously we're going to get into the song kind of bit bit by bit because it does have some quite ob- obvious yeah. segments yeah. but it is indulgence from its purest form and um when you uh, when you advise me to watch some kind of monster which mm. i loved by the way oh movie, yeah they kind of spoke of the band's ego in the past where it was kind of like running right uh, rampant really like every bit every, every member of the band had you know a total say and you can kind of tell that like no one's saying this solo should be a little bit shorter no one's saying the song should be a little bit shorter let's let let's let, let, let have two less verses you know it really is quite indulgent mm-hmm. and the second half of the song sadly isn't as interesting as the first the solo doesn't wow me or grip me no. it's somewhere between 25 and 50 percent too long i wouldn't say it's definitely 50 yeah. percent, but yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. after after about the five minute mark, it's not as it's not as powerful. And by the time James comes back to, and sings again, it's, it's a little bit too yeah, little, too late yeah, for me. Yeah, really. yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think in terms of the longer songs they'd done prior to this, you know, I'm thinking explicitly of Master of Puppets. Mm-hmm. It's a long song. I think it's almost as long as this, but it has a really fascinating, beautiful, you'll only hear it once, middle section. Whereas this one, they just repeat the intro riff heavier as the middle section. And yes. it's just very yes. uninspiring. And then I agree, when you get to that third verse, it, it's not great. And I just want to quote quickly from um, Birth School Metallica Death, mm-hmm. which is what I said before, Paul Brannigan and Ian Wynn would obviously had Paul Brannigan on the show. It's on Patreon if you listen to this in the future. It'll be on the youtube channel check it out it was great to have him on um the book covers 1983 to 1991 and speaking of and justice for all explicitly it says blackened was the first song the group worked on and they did so as a quartet in a process Ulrich describes as the famous you know let's get everyone together and try to work on stuff but it never really went anywhere remembers the drummer over the course of metallica's career whenever we get too many people to be part of the writing thing it always ends up being not so good so instead, Hetfield and Ulrich squirreled themselves away in the drummer's garage, listened to riffs recorded on tapes and editing the notes and chord progressions into place. Such was the complexity of the structure of each of the compositions that began to emerge that Hetfield resorted to making written charts in order to help him to commit each song's component parts to memory. Back then, remembers Ulrich, we just tried to cram as much shit into the songs as possible. But it wasn't like we had to keep cramming until they were nine minutes long. It was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And there we have Ulrich 
um, you know, giving us a little bit of insight there. And it does feel that 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 kind of rock star. I don't want to call it yeah. arrogance because I think there is a sense of exploration there. And mm-hmm. I think there's certain elements of and Justice for All um, as an album uh, rather than a song, which is probably going to happen throughout this episode. Where it's like what mm-hmm. we what we're here talking about here. But as an album as a whole, I like the direction it took Metallica, and there are certain quicker elements of in the band that exhibited on, on Blackened and and Shorty Straw and Dies Eve that I think re- are really well. And I think you would only get that through kind of allowing themselves to languish and, and work mm-hmm. on these grooves that Lars wants to do. But I think listening to this song as a, as a song, as, as not as a Metallica nerd, just trying to appreciate where it's from, what it is, it just is too long. Like, you know, you, mm-hmm. you've really got to do something with the middle or the back end to legitimize that duration. So, like, it starts off well. It starts off really well, almost like, you know, mm-hmm. battery. It, it comes in with my favorite kind of Metallica lengthy you know twisty something is about to unfold and twist it intro mm-hmm. and oh, you there yeah oh so oh, oh sorry yeah, yeah, cut, off for, yeah, cut off for a sec like I've, i'm really fond of that kind of juxtaposing from that softer more melodic dare i say it more soulful intro with that inevitable shift, shift into the oh shit here we go the, the thrashy stuff Lars is coming in stuff and and justice for all gets even more mileage out of this technique as it kind of has a couple of fake outs that tease that 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 heavier sound but i love the early melodic counter and compliment melodies mm. where it's, it's very classical almost viking-esque the kind of music that makes yeah. you want to sail forth in a long boat <laughs> and then and then and then like lars joins joins in for the third round doesn't he yeah and then yeah. The, the, it, the guitar sound in, in, in intensifies and it's great how there's no subtlety about what you're meant to feel and then it's going to shift into this real jolting move where it's going to make you want to get off the long boat and just start pillaging mm. and it, you, you, you've just swelled to this point and it goes dun, 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 dun. and obviously that's something i've noticed you've done it in your show lots of people seem to have to mouth metallica oh yeah very, very much like tom waits we wait we, we have to go oh, yeah. fairy tales <laughs> you have you have to go dun, 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 or you do you yeah that is that is the best part part of the song once it shifts into that that is easily my favorite part of the song it, it's that really surging catchy riff and it's mm. really intense it's it, it's that it's the bit where if i'm on my bike i feel like yes metallica are a great band for a workout yeah yeah i i agree as well the intro is lovely um, you know that Metallica have, have done this quite a bit at this point in their career. You know, doing these mm. kind of faux classical intros that that really work, really mm. compelling. You know, very Tolkien esque, yeah. very Tolkien esque, very deceptively simple actually. If you play this on guitar, I remember hearing this as a kid thinking, "Oh, this sounds quite finger picking, intricate." But when you actually play it on guitar, it's it's kind of just one single shape that's moving up and down the fretboard. It sounds brilliant though. Okay. Um, you know, and it's classic Metallica. Uh, let's look at Sanitarium. Let's look at Fade to Black. Let's look at One. You know, that introduction of that sort of slight arpeggio shift, and then a, quite a nice lead on the top do 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 like kind of the really mm-hmm. you know kirk is known for these big bends these marty friedman-esque high fret octave shifts and he does it here on a much lower register that just works so well above it it does and you know the idea in a song it, it's a very common idea really the juxtaposition between the soft and the hard you know you want to look at something like nirvana perhaps who exhibit it a bit more explicitly in kind of verse chorus but here we have something similar where the kind of softer classical guitar is becoming the heavier riff you know we heard this on battery as well but it's done very well like it's mm-hmm. kind of stupid when you're like oh it's you know it's this kind of slow guitar it becomes fast guitar or whatever but like when you the execution is very very sweet the harmony is on the top the, the, the heraldic sense of marching it's a shame as i say that it became back for the bridge because i think it robs it a little bit of its majesty you know battery never returns to its yeah. intro it, it doesn't need to really but 
uh, I, I agree. I love the intro. I love the intro. It's brilliant. It is charmingly abrasive, but you are right. When it, it does come back, it is a bit like you know seeing the alien from Alien the second time. You know, right. You're never you're never going to have that that scare you yeah. you once had again. Uh, and I do just like how they kind of pulled pulled the rug out and that sense of security of that melodic intro. And then it just gets you ready for the rest of the song. It's just a shame the rest of the song does go on. Uh, the song gets about 25% more generic for me when James starts singing. It just sounds a bit more like um, you use the word stock. And I, look, the song for me, uh, vocally, is just is just not strong as the guitar work in the song. I, I can't quite put out a particular feel. I just think it's slightly unremarkable. Whereas, you know, all the guitar parts have a slightly distinctive and fun and work separately and as a whole. A lot of the vocal elements, like the chorus and the verses, don't kind of have that cohesion, feel kind of patchier and cobbled together. Mm. It does have that kind of thing where you were talking about where you can feel the guttural, shamanic, primordial feel where they kind of get the syllables out first, ready, mm. and then they kind of build, build the lyrics around that. It does kind of have that Cro-Magnon strength, as it yeah. were, kind of, you know, bringing it above that kind of clunky word and uh, yeah, okay. the lyrics are, are okay. Obviously, we'll like, get onto the lyrics in, in, in a moment, but there are several moments I do like, you know, I can't believe the price you pay. Like, you know, there are so many movements that mm. you, you're going to like something, but it feels like they're kind of throwing as many ideas out there as possible and seeing what sticks, really. It doesn't have the cohesion as, like, one or battery. No, really. it's not classic, is it? It's very good. It's it's slightly distinctly just not classic. Yeah, it? It's just yeah. like, eh! It's good. It's like 79%. It's good. It, like, I do really like the song. I agree with what you're saying about the verses. I think one of the problems with the verses is it's James's enunciation. I quite like the lyrics, actually. I think the lyrics, Halls of justice painted green, money talking, power walls beset your door, hear them stalking. I think it's quite it, powerful. It's like 90s rap, that does. I, 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 quite, I, I quite like it. Like, I think um, a lot of people in this era point to the, I think it's Seattle 89 performance on the Unjustice tour where they perform this song. Incredible performance. Never seen such energy mm. from the band. And James's singing is way better on that performance than, than this recording I, th- I think all in all the injustice for all album recording production wise was kind of poor it kind of has this scoop sound that you know just doesn't sound very fresh really even though it's still interesting compositionally but yeah i don't i don't i don't mind that i kind of what i like is i i like the guitar parts in this song i agree with you more than i probably like the vocals i like lo- i love the na 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 you know very basic very flashy probably one of the most repetitive riffs metallica ever used in a song it's really black sabbath-esque as it anchors the song you know it really is the song's always going back to that very dominant riff mm-hmm. and you know I, I i love as well um the the verse riff the verse riff that goes under halls just it to bum ba dum bum ba ba bum bum ba and then it repeats a da na 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 like even in verse riff that kind of that ending is still sneaking in here and then mm. also the, the the build riff as well where you get the legato that kind of close that kind of space out in the obscure mm. density of the song you know there is such inventiveness here that you know james is obviously incredibly intelligent i assume james wrote most of it he just wrote them in majority of metallica's riffs i assume james wrote the majority of this it, 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 it's crazy and, and it's helped i don't know if you notice as well the drums are very exploratory and ponderous at points they can be very flashy very full air but often you know you, lars is just kind of hitting toms absently dum, 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 dum. yeah it is it's it's it is very shamanic like like i said earlier it does have that kind of little rhythm that just carries you through in the background and it is nice to listen to a lot of the separate elements uh i can't agree with you lyrically though i think lyrically it's quite um almost system of a downy right. high school hippie-ish uh, there's, 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 justice there's, is know, lost man it's, like, you know, it's gone maybe, maybe you know I'm being a little bit pessimistic you know right. growing up in the era of postmodernism and right. you know seeing far too many of the UK's tepid spoken word artists but I mean you know 
it just sounds a little a little bit juvenile for me you know justice is lost justice is raped yeah. justice is gone but you know the way it's sung is better and, and like i say it does ele- elevate it again but i guess you know with a song like this it, you know even the message is something that even the most pc of suburban mums can can agree with you know yeah i think i think we all should have justice i should buy this song for little you know for little billy right. and hopefully you know li- little kids did get into the song that way but it is the group's fourth longest song and it just i can't keep you know coming back to it enough enough really i was listening to it um on the through the nether sound uh, sorry, mm. i was listening to it on the through the nether soundtrack and james is unintelligible on it right. he's he's, okay. he's he's really quite bad and that just makes the song feel even longer and it is less cohesive so it does just feel like eh, it, i'm just not getting enough out of this and you know when you were watching return of the king and you were just like okay i can see where this song is going to end and the audience is thinking yep this is where the where where, where the thing should end now and it's like oh it's still going mm. it's really still going mm-hmm. it's not like you know waits is the road to peace or innumerable other metallica songs where you really can immerse yourself in their size and breadth but it just gets too repetitive too too yeah. quickly for me yeah yeah and something that doesn't help the song either is the fairly forgettable solo um you know kirk is kirk is a patchy guitar player you know i'm I'm not the biggest fan of the obviously i love the guys in metallica you know he's part of the legacy undeniably but he's soloing like you know i've been doing a lot of prep for this megadeth episode and and when i listen to what the work marty friedman does on these megadeth songs of the same era like it's just you cannot compare like you know the creativity that marty does to the kind of just staleness that kirk does there really is a bingo checklist of where he's going to go with this and it starts off with that really boring like really there's no (laughs) excitement to that lick at all like you know it's very sort of soap opera-esque almost and then it just kicks into his very like you know i I appreciate you said the guitar nerd stuff earlier and like on myself i'm not going to get into it too depth but people know sort of the way he just kind of picks open strings and descends the fretboard and often plays against the riff and kind of throws odd bends in there like there's no Mm. story being told really there are brilliant kirk solos do not get me wrong when a good kirk solo up i will praise it to the end but this solo i mean again it just you know if there was something in the middle that could maybe even like you know substitute as a middle section to give it a bit more of an inquisitive nature that that could exist there but it it doesn't it it, it's fairly uh rote it is almost just a a generic pop solo really where it it just kind of follows the song in a kind of unimaginative kind of obvious way really you know i don't want to sound too apathetic towards towards this song i do know why people like it yeah. i do know why oh, it's yeah. a, a kind of a, a a semi-classic i had fun singing it today on my bike ride i must confess mm-hmm. but something i've noticed with metallica there's a there's increasingly fewer and fewer songs that you can sing kind of when you're out in in, in public really right and yeah, it's um, it is it is a popular song as well. We should reiterate that you know they voted for Metallica. According to their website, have performed this song 257 times live. Um, wow! First time it was played was on September the 11th, 1988, in Budapest, Hungary. It was last performed August 9th, 2014, in Montreal, Canada. So yeah, there is um, you know, it's 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 quite a regular feature. I'm sure it will come back. You know, people do love the song. I have to say as well, the song is quality. Like I love Metallica from this era. I love to see the things that they're coming out with. I think this is a a strong track that just needs that kind of that pruning you know that the bob rock in their follow-up this wouldn't have got through his sieve you know i think i think kind mm-hmm. of he has a bit more of an attention detail before he became kind of part of team metallica or whatever so later on but you know it, it, it's all in all a good song and i'm glad to have you on to talk about this one because i think it's one that needs to be discussed 
I do like the song. It, it wasn't one that I knew about when I first came uh, to Metallica. It was, you know, I just I was like, okay, let's just absorb this and see what's going to, going, going to happen. And I wasn't shocked. I wasn't offended. I was like, okay, I can see why people like this. I'm not going to put it on my playlist. I'm not going to like, you know, if I'm if I'm hanging out with you and Ron, I'm not going to try and in, impress you by putting on this song. I wouldn't really waste <laughs> waste waste my time. Let right. let's let's put Blackened on. That's yeah. the better song. True. And this song does suffer from coming after Blackened. It really does. It's such a good opening, and it's so and it, it is a bit more concise, even though it is very very long. But it is a little more tight, and yeah, yeah. it's it, it works far better. And it puts you in a mood where you, you don't really want to put up with this with this and justice for all come on let's get the album going maybe have this a little later but it's getting very annoying now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no that, that's fair yeah i think thinking of it in that track listen audio black and is is by far the superior song definitely one of their their best ever songs in my opinion i, I love black and can't wait to get onto that mm-hmm. quite shortly uh with a great guest <laughs> as well um but you know th- this as a whole sam closing thoughts on this track you know i mean in the kind of pantheon of what you know of metallica is this something you rank highly or uh it's it's not going to go up there with the the common hits you know it's no enter sandman for me sure. it's no it's no it, it it doesn't ring ring as a real classic like we said i'm not going to try and get people onto it with this song i, I don't think and justice for all would be the album you you give to anyone first really it is it is one of those ones you you come to later mm. and I do like how technical it is. You can appreciate the production. You can appreciate how much effort has clearly gone into it. And then you get to the solo, like you say, and it does feel kind of generic and, oh, okay, this where where did the effort go and where did the energy go that was obviously in blackened? And it just skirts that kind of 7 out of 10 mm region really i don't know if you give numerical values to anything uh, yeah not show. not not explicitly no but grades but, you know like c c plus b know. minus b I mean, minus if you want to implement that for your time on the show that is no problem i'm sure it, uh i'm sure it will three be stars maintained. three stars three stars yeah. three stars two thumbs up or no two no, thumbs but, up is the best one isn't it but yeah no it was it, i agree on that sort of general <laughs> scale i do agree i think that you know it, it's admirable um certainly it's it's a, it, you know um got some great parts on it no doubt um i like the intention as well kind of similar to master of puppets exploring these wider themes in 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 this terms the justice system you know straightforward as as that and you know it, it does have good moments but as a kind of cohesive piece within the context of that within the context of the pantheon of metallica it's not one of my uh, top tracks so talk about justice you know eye of the beholder mm-hmm. um in general what are your thoughts on this album you know it, it doesn't necessarily divide a lot of people but it seems to have i know for instance brad blazik uh, it's his favorite metallic album he's a huge fan of that it obviously seems to be one of those albums that people really really are into or maybe don't consider as highly as the rest yeah i'm probably in the camp of not considering quite as highly as the rest master mm. of puppets is i think overshadows this album mm. but i've really gotten into it as of late, I think the subject matter is really good. The lyrics are really good, and I mean, you can't you can't mess with songs like Blackened and no. that 
and that kind of stuff. So, and I think "Eye of the Beholder" is really underrated as a song, especially the lyrics. Yeah, I, I totally agree actually with the lyrics. Um, as I'm at pains to say throughout the show, we're, we're not necessarily a podcast that sort of you know puts the fine tooth comb through the lyrics. But I think in today's political environment, especially sort of post fake news, etc., like something like "Eye of the Beholder" so relevant, right? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's. It's funny to think that something written in the late 80s is so apropos yeah. right now. I think that's James's superpower in lyric writing is to have something both vague and powerful at the mm-hmm. same time, which I think is a really fine tightrope to walk. Truth is an offense. You know, an early thing that he says as well there. Uh, Do you trust what I trust? Me, myself, and I? Which is it's just perfect. A brilliant lyric. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot of it deals with... Uh, you know, the, indiv- the individual versus tyranny or the structure of things in society or oppression in general. I tend to think of it as a corrupt system pushing down the individual. Uh, I really like that the, I think the song itself and its structure sort of mirrors what they're trying to rail against, a very ordered structure. Yes. So I thought that was very cool. Yes, yes, you're completely right. And I mean, the, the, the intro, which is quite a rare thing really for Metallica with the fade in, I don't know how yes. many of them they've done. I don't, you know, I've listened to a lot of Metallica throughout this podcast. I can't think of too many times they faded in. And I can't get enough of that march. You know, it feels quite modern in a sense, like a, a breakdown of a post-metal band, you know, just the open strings, just chugging away as it comes in. Lars's drums sort of throbbing away. And when it really comes into its own, when it has that little descent there and, and builds on, it, it's such a powerful prospect, isn't it? That first minute of Eye of the Beholder. Oh, yeah, that's it's fantastic. I think there's a reason they keep that in the justice medley. And you're right about the fade-in. I thought about that for a little bit, and I just sort of, maybe I'm going too far with my metaphors here, but it fades in like it it has always been there, like the structure of society has always been there. There's always the threat of tyranny and oppression. I like that. I like that uh, a lot. Yeah, it's kind of like how Orion fades out, and it, it gives me that same sort of feeling of it always kind of existing in that world. And uh, yeah, there there is an order, isn't there? There's 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 a motion to this thing. It's such an an assault on the senses, and the way James is singing as well. It's 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 a low um, throated sing, and there's kind of. Um, I don't know, it's like a subtle vocal flange. I don't know if you heard that on his voice, like a bit of an effect there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like the words that he chooses that he goes through throughout the song, about the first half is see, hear, feel, take, as in endure something, and fear. It's all sort of passive words, like something being put upon the subject of the song. And then after that, about the middle, it's more proactive words like Mm. choose, need, trust, know, want. Mm. It's like the individual realizing that the structure is not is not what they want, and they have to do something about it. Yeah, what yeah. that is is never explained at the end of the song, but I guess that's for the the listener to figure out. Yeah, no, that that that's some top tier Harvard literary analysis there. I like that. I never <laughs> considered that, but that's so true. And another thing that I thought in my notes, I thought, okay, is this sort of a contrived point? But now, now you're sort of saying this thing. I'm sort of seeing it come to when he says Independence Limited. It's almost like a company. Like Independence Limited, like Damage <laughs> Inc. You know, it's just kind of exactly. a manufactured conceit there. I love 
the the character of justice the sense where master and 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 ride and kill em all to a certain extent although kill em all is a bit more adolescent in comparison to the second and third albums like this mm-hmm. is a complex album guitar wise there are there you know like like life is complex like the political existence is complex like there's so many time changes and you know um when the doesn't matter what you see that riff i think it's in 12a i don't know exactly my signatures there but it's always off kilter isn't it justice you never quite know where you are rhythmically in the song Mm -hmm. absolutely there are lots of different changes that sort of knock you off of whatever path you were on it sort of keeps you on your toes which is a, a cool aspect of justice and this song i think in particular yeah yeah and um yeah lyrically again i just want to say it is a knockout and as it as it sort of continues through the song as well um you know the idea of self-censorship the 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 thematic the the way you sort of freedom is a word that he wrenches as well james sings it in lots of different guises Mm -hmm. there and sort of i love the solo as well i love the sort of exotic you know everyone says egyptian because it always just sounds a little mm-hmm. you know what i mean i'm sure there are other cultures that it's more akin to um but you have sort of kirk's phrasing there that builds it out and then kirk's solo as a whole which a lot you know similar to what he was doing around this period it's kind of quite quite wrought quite cruel loads mm-hmm. of large bends and dips and there's quite a lot of pain and agony and i think is what he's playing yeah i agree i wasn't sure what you were going to say about the solo i know you like uh <laughs> like death magnetic which is not my favorite work of kirk's i remember hearing an interview with him and he said that he came in not so much planned for his solos and he just felt the solos which is fine but this i like when kirk has a direction when he links it back to the song when it's a little more reined in Mm. uh it's not a a super shredding kirk hammett solo you know just like the theme of the song it's like he could go out there and just obliterate everything but he's being held back by some invisible reins yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it, it all tied together fantastically. And it's a shame then that for such an interesting song and for a song that's really celebrated, like one of the things that I love to do, as I said before on the show, is to read the YouTube comments, you know, to see what people are saying about this track. And and so many of the comments on the song are like, oh, my God, this is so relevant in 2018. Like, you know, it could have been written <laughs> yesterday. You know, like if you're listening to this, whatever. Um, And, you know, people wanted to hear this song. The song was played a lot live at the time of the release, 125 times. But it mm-hmm. hasn't been played in full since 1989, uh, July yeah. 14th in middletown new york now um i believe uh, they did this thing didn't they metallica i think it was in may of 2017 now that we're live and they did like a sort of live rehearsal um mm-hmm. and and i think they played the opening bars of i beholder if i'm not mistaken then i i don't remember i yeah. don't remember actually seeing that but yeah. i think that the band genuinely likes this song i think james genuinely likes the riff i mean mm. they include it in the little video segment in their live performances yeah um I wanted to hear the whole thing, obviously, but I've gone back and listened to uh, what they have on LiveMetallica.com. There's an Austin show and an Osaka, Japan show, and I got to say, this is one of the very, very rare songs, if not the only one, where the live version doesn't seem to have the same power or gravity as it does on the album, and maybe that's just me. Yeah, yeah. I um I listened to a version from Hartford, Connecticut, and it's quite funny because James forgets the lyrics and he sing- <laughs> he sings like I'm forgetting the lyric and and, <laughs> and the bass is really loud as well. It's like um I think it was taken on a camcorder from the side of the stage. And you've got to like give thanks to people back then in 1989 for smuggling one of those things in. Like you know it's so appreciated. And yeah, that's not a small job. No, not at all. And I imagine back then as well it was like a giant VHS boombox sort of thing. You know, well no no iPhone 
moments and you can hear the bass rumbling and I mean Kevin you talk about justice you've got to talk about Jason and the bass you can't really hear it on this track but arguably it kind of makes it almost more claustrophobic doesn't it, it kind of more scooped out right there's a little more tension in it mm. it's like there should be something here but i just can't get to it yeah, yeah just like the the subject of the song is like i just can't get past this impediment in front of me yeah there's no sort of solid grounding foundation to sort of feel to feel steady on you know there's just sort of this loose gravel underneath and um yeah lots lots of cool stuff in this song i love the the riff which is kind of the, the riff before the solo which is kind of hard to sing it's kind of one of these justicey riffs it's mm-hmm. a lot of chugging with a few notes in between there but i'm sure if you listen back you know what we're talking about and uh, again it's just kind of quite treacherous ground that it's built upon and um yeah eye of the beholder i think for a lot of people is one of those songs that yeah may- maybe 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 they will play it live because they did that thing um now that we're live but then again they have been playing a lot of death magnetic songs in the tuning room lately which I haven't seen debuted but it seems like rumors are pointing to, and I saw Matt like your podcast post on Instagram the other day that they're possibly doing an arena tour in the US this year. That'd be fantastic. I Wouldn't would go. It? Come on, come on. Yeah, I'm so jealous. Like you know, I mean, we we, we effectively got an arena tour in the UK just recently, but um, yeah, they uh, that 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 would be amazing to see, especially if they went a bit more inward as well with the song listings, such as a song like this. But um, any 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 more um thoughts on either behold? Any closing thoughts? I think, like we've said already, you could make this song today and it would be just as applicable the you can do it your own way if it's done just how i say that just brought to mind james's interview on joe rogan's podcast oh, man. about living in california it's like yeah. diversity the way we want it yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing yeah, yeah, yeah um i tried to delve into metallica and philosophy the uh, crash course in brain surgery yes, book yes yes i didn't get a whole lot out of that book i'm sorry to say but no i uh, agree i agree i found it a little sort of Lots of, you know, tenured professors trying to hackney some, uh, you know, Marxism into, like, Reload or something. It's just, yeah, it did, the, the Napster chapter's good. Um, I, I haven't actually read the whole book, so I can't review the whole thing, but I agree with what you're saying, definitely. Yeah, the audiobook doesn't help either. Oh, right, they, okay. They, they do the, the main themes of freedom of speech as a charade, individual individuality and authenticity, uh, make your life your own. But again, like you said, it's a it's a bunch of people using Metallica as a vehicle to show how much they know about philosophers yeah. and say things like Dostoevsky and Nietzsche and Kierkegaard. watching the video then because we'll get onto the video later in my opinion it is one of the greatest music videos of all time it's fantastic yep and i remember watching the premiere of it and then mtv played it constantly Mm -hmm. very you know so i saw it quite a bit so this song turned me on to the band yeah yeah as i'm sure many many other people as well and i mean look let's get onto one because one is a mythic track in the history of the band it's one of their most played songs most adored songs and quite rare for the band we kick off with some sound effects the distant pattering of mortar fire uh, sergeants calling for their grunts to go over the top of the trenches maybe i'm getting a bit of um stockholm syndrome here i don't know it sounds like hetfield to me can you hear that 
I do, and I always thought that was James too. That go, 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 yeah. go. Yeah, that always sounded like James to me. Yeah, I'll yeah. bet it is. I, I've tried to find out if it is or not. I mean, people let us know metallicabrogmail.com. We've got some you know big fans out there that know everything about it. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it is as well. He sounds very like Arlie Emery, sort of in that steez. It's quite sad, really, because you the the ultimate resolution of what his urge is uh, comes clear as we get through the song. Quite apocalypse now as we get the twisting, whirring helicopter blades atop. And then the riff enters. Like, it's like a mini opera straight away, isn't it? It's so much more adventurous composition than what they were trying in the previous three albums. Yeah, I think the template is there with Fade to Black and Sanitarium. Mm -hmm. But this takes it up a level in terms of complexity. Yeah, and then into that riff which is just so solemn and and mighty and you know we've established this on previous episodes like murder one and fade to black I, I, do you play much guitar yourself are you familiar with the instrument aaron or i am not a musician per se but i'm familiar with musical terminology i have many musician friends and yeah yeah i mean i mean look, I, I play guitar but very much in an amateur position i'm not gonna go out, out of the window <laughs> here but like it's it's got like you know the shape that's being used really the power chord shape that they're building the riff around is the same shape as fade to black of sanitarium it's this two four shape and we hear it in murder one as well but um this this opening riff to one that hetfield's playing it's so elegiac so rueful there's a sense of regret that leaks from it it's so solemn isn't it an atmospheric it really feels war-torn it really is it's that arpeggiated those arpeggiated chords mm -hmm. it's stark it's ominous yeah. it already gives you a sense of dread right off the bat yeah and you mentioned fade to black as well and i think structurally there's so much similarities between the two you know they both start off with these figures they both have uh you know elongated kirk solo here love kirk's lead line here at the start it, it, you know it, it's symptomatic of great lead lines that you can sing it i bet you and i we could just sing it right now you know it's just it's so hummable it's so yeah, memorable. It's very melodic it is incredibly melodic and i like the tone as well it's quite flinty and thin you know very unusual for Kirk, you didn't hear him play like this very much up to this point. No, and you know, in the way Fade to Black builds and builds, and he has a like this kind of has another thing as he goes up, you know, which is very, very reedy, very scratchy and itchy. And I love the mood here. And one of the things we hear as the band come in that you don't really hear on Justice, you can hear the bass quite audibly. A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's not very, it's not super no, high no. because famously we all know that you know Jason kind of got taken out of, yeah. of the mix. They took him down, but yeah, you can hear it a little bit yeah. on this track. Yeah, it is there, and I mean, yeah, I, I I love the riff, the the open note as well, the chomp of it, the Hetfield uh, rests upon, and um, I mean, talking about the intro solo, one of the things I like to do um, before I do the episode is just watch a few live performances. Normally. You know, the, the 20 minutes before I'll do an episode, I'll just watch two or three performances. And I was going through, and I wanted to see them do it recently, so I found them doing it on the Worldwide Stadium Tour. Now, people, seek this out. Edmonton, Alberta, August 16th, 2017. Kirk horrifically fucks up the solo. He misses <laughs> so many notes. And I was listening, I was like, oh, this is a bit off. And then all the comments are like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, and I, but but whatever, it's got, I think he, he writes it absolutely brilliantly. And, you know, we move forward and the main riff gains a few extra notes as it pulses. And there's a real momentum. And, you know, the, the, the classical sections as well, before we get to the verse, I, I love all the acoustic guitar ornamentation on top of it. It's just a, 
the, the, the piling is magic. Yes, and I didn't expect that when you first hear it, too. All of a sudden, there's acoustic guitars, and you're going, oh, what's happening here? Yeah. Then that kind of really is a callback to the uh, Fade to Black and you yeah. know, the, the slow ballad-type music that Metallica used to do. Yeah, and one of the things I didn't realize, doing a bit of research on this, in Paul Brannigan and Ian Winwood's great book, Birth School Metallica Death, they're talking about the origin of this song. Quote, elsewhere, inspired by a conversation that Hetfield had once shared with Cliff Burton regarding the horror of the notion of a soldier returning from war, bereft not only of four limbs, but of the power of sight, speech, and hearing. So, I mean, you know, the fact that this is going back to a chat with Cliff as well, I don't know if you're aware of that. I've never heard that before. I never heard that story. I do know that the movie tie-in Johnny Got His Gun and yeah. I was aware that they had written this prior to that. They weren't aware of the book or the movie mm-hmm. prior to writing this song. So that actually kind of makes sense to me, that Cliff story. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, like you say, that I think it's Donald Trumbo, uh, the novel that it was based on that they drew it from. And, you know, Metallica are maybe on the surface of it don't appear to be, but they very much are a very literary band. You know, for whom the Beltar is named after a Hemingway novel. We have the Cthulhu mythos running through. I'm sure there's lots of other things that are, that are missing out here. But, you know, certainly those two. And, you know, Maiden did that to a certain extent, but not too many metal bands. I don't remember Dave Mustaine quoting any Shakespeare. You know what I mean? He didn't really go into that direction um as we get into the lyrics as well the subject matter the topic i mean in my opinion this is some of the best lyrics james have ever written and i think they almost a sign of great lyrics they can exist outside the incubator of the song not that they need to but if you were just to read these lyrics on the page they are absolutely you know they're morbid aren't they they're entrancing in such a gruesome way i've always heard this song sort of cinematically I, maybe the video had something to do with that too, but it's obviously it's about the soldier. He's trying to describe his perception of his surroundings. I think he doesn't really quite understand what's happened to him yeah. yet in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very descriptive. Excellent lyric writing from James on this one. It, it is. It is. I mean, you know, phrases such as now that the war is through with me, that the war is this kind of natural force that, you know, no longer has any purpose for him. Um, just I can't remember anything. Can't tell if this is true or dream is a very evocative beginning as well. And, and needing to scream and the terrible silence stop me. Just, just the wartime novelty as well. And, and James's delivery as well. You know, scream. Ah! It just has that Hetfield bark on the end of certain lines. And um, I quite like the live versions. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on S&M and other ones where he'll sing the like, feed to the Jew that sticks in there. Like he'll really embellish that line. It's so powerful. It is. He kind of starts the lyric off in a flat voice. But Mm. as he, I see it as he's sort of discovering that he's incapacitated. And that's when, uh uh-oh. And his voice rises a little bit. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, totally feel that as well. Yeah, his voice does sound quite drained at the beginning. And I like the use of backing vocals as well. The cannot see, like another persona, another sense of awareness dawning, this man who is you know, nothing after the landmine. And I guess we can see certain antecedents maybe in disposable heroes, kind of similar territory thematically. Yeah, it's stuff that they've mined before, Mm -hmm. but I think this goes a little bit deeper. To me, like, at least from the perception, you know, the perception of a actual soldier, I think it even goes deeper than a For Whom the Bell Tolls or one of their older war songs. 
Yeah, yeah, and we get, you know, a few war songs as well on Hardwired, you know, Confusion most explicitly. I mean, Day That Never Comes as well. It's yes. always, it was interesting for, for James to um, plow that furrow. And the song just moves so effortlessly between the heavy and the soft and the whole my breath moment as well with the guitars, which sounds so chuggy. But I mean, talking about the sound of the song as well, it's a little bit of an outlier on justice, isn't it? It's got this kind of glistening quality, this cleanliness to it, this gleaming diamond, whereas the, all the album around it, justice is quite claustrophobic fresh. It's claustrophobic, but it's also dry mm. and it, like like that early Metallica music too. So it you do get a sense of starkness of you know a uh, sense of doom, impending mm. you know that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it is so foreboding this song, and it's it's it, it, it's a delight <laughs> in spite of how outwardly depressing it is. I, I I just think it's a terrific ride. It never fails to have me spellbound because there's so many ideas in here. Like um, you know, after the second verse, when the classical ideas pile on the top, and we have that great Kirk lead line there, and it's not kind of. You almost feel there could be lashings of distortion on that or overdrive. That could be a really powerful moment. But again, the tone is very, very, you know, it's just drained. It's just there's not much kind of in it. You know, there's not much dulled into the amp. It's a very kind of slim tone. And it works for it. There is a compelling tapestry of ideas that go on the top here. And kind of like the section in Master of Puppets where we have the arpeggio that then weaponizes itself when it goes soft and it starts to build and starts to build and goes towards the solo. I mean, the band are just so intelligent at doing this, aren't they? They really know where to where to take the song into these interesting directions they really do and this song in particular it's such a slow build to mm. get you to the to the in, more intense part you know kirk's playing is restrained yet it's uh you know it's very melodic still it's very uh clear and clean and they're getting somewhere you can tell because as the song progresses you can feel the tension building but it's very very slow and it's very very effective yeah yeah and you know now the world is gone i'm just one. Oh god help me that james singing on the top of those chords is irresistible and um you know I, I i love we have the slow encroaching of lars's double bass drum coming in in these sections before we fade out to nothing but that and then the chugging coming on the riffing i mean it's just headbang city right Sure. I mean, here comes the machine guns, right? Yeah. The enemy is arriving yeah, and yeah. he's living, the, he's reliving the war in his head. Yeah. And James barking over the top, the darkness imprisoning me, all that I see, absolute horror. Again, lyrically, some of his absolute best work and landmine, the, the way um, the, the BVGs are backing that up as well, taking my speech, taking my hearing, taking my arms. I love the fact that the last two minutes or so, you know, are wordless, are evocative, really, of the descent into hell, the trauma that this soldier is experiencing. It's just, you know... The band are so good at this, aren't they? Look at Fade to Black and Sanitarium or whatever. They, the soft beginning, the heavy ending. But it's such a satisfying structure, isn't it? It's kind of like the free act structure in a player, in a film or something. It's kind of predictable. Like, okay, we're going to get really heavy at the end. We're going to get really traumatic and crashing down and whatever. But, you know, you can't deny that it works. Very much so. Prior to this machine gun section, he's 
kind of despairing. He's he hates this. He, he doesn't understand his situation. What's happened to me? But then the anger comes out, mm. and when he realizes that he hits landmine, he understands what has happened to him, and now he's like angry at his circumstances, at everything. So that's when he's screaming, and when that final hell into the into the uh, wordless, you know, to the yeah. instrumental section, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is kind of the, the last words uh, before we enter this movement. And Kirk's solo, I think Kirk's solo is out of this world. Reminds me of like something out of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or something. It's a real like kind of guitar hero noodly solo. It's proper old school shredding, but I, I think it's brilliantly judged. It really is. And it's ripping. He shreds it really bad. It's one of his best fast solos, in my opinion. He still had it at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Do not go back and watch that 2017 one. I actually actually didn't watch him. I actually just could could barely get through the intro song. I'm going to go back and watch what he did on that. But um, yeah, and as with all these solos, you know, I point to like the Damage Inc. solo is a good example of this. James is such a good accompanying rhythm player underneath. He'll play different things. He'll shift to bring the best out of Kirk's playing. And Kirk does something that he'll do. He does kind of throughout his career, really. He does a lot in load and reload and stuff like that, where he'll kind of... He'll do a le- he'll do a lick that will ape the rhythm underneath. So it's like when he does, you know, just, that's basically just mimicking what the drums and guitar are doing there. But it is just such an exciting movement here. I love the big bends. I love the playing, and you know, the riff is just so damn heavy as well over the top. And then we get, you know, as Metallica did all the time as well, these great harmony sections. I love that they throw that right at the end. Just just another cool thing to listen to. Yeah, it sounds so cool. It's again, it becomes more melodic from the shredding part from Kirk, mm-hmm. but it still maintains that intensity. You're still feeling that war. You know, the, it, the soldier's still reliving the war. You can't get away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It kind of flashes of PTSD here, kind of you know, harking back to old memories. It's such a great expression of inward rage and immobility and you know Metallica was so adept at this point of, of, of conjuring a you know wild display of emotions this is just I mean yeah this is obviously it's a masterpiece I think most people regard this as one of the very best songs that the band have ever done and as we always do we open it up to you guys at Metallica Pod uh, Ralph saying of one classic song of possibly the best metal album of all time possibly the most iconic double bass section in a song ever the lyrics are haunting and the video scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid it follows the fade formula ballad like start to thrash uh, Ryan saying, in high school, I had to do a book report on the book Johnny Got His Gun, which is a story one is based on. The only time I was excited to do schoolwork. It's a great song that hooked a lot of new fans at the time. Michael saying, maybe the best Metallica song ever. The lyrics are haunting. The music incredibly well composed. Those opening chords elicit a bleakness few songs can rival. I mean, talking about bleakness, Aaron, the, um, the S&M version is track as well. I think that's one of the best on the record. They use the orchestra so well to conjure the idea of warfare. They do, and it it works. Yeah, because I'm not I'm not crazy about having the orchestra playing along sure. with rock bands, but in this particular track, it does work very well. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, you know, S and M is a tale of two cities. You know, sometimes it's just them kind of replicating the notes and not really doing much. Right. Sometimes though, on one and, and other songs like Cthulhu, they kind of use it as more of a canvas, and you know, Cayman really goes wild with that. But um, but yeah, one, you know, just. It just, yeah, it, it's kind of beyond words, certain parts of it. I just, it hits an emotional core in me. I think 
the band was spot on here and um you know it's such a progressive progressive move for them isn't it like it's it's mad that what ride the lightning was like three years before four years before something like that like the the speed to which they grew as writers is still dumbfounded it really is. The, the progression from each album is kind of staggering, you know, from Kill 'Em All to Ride the Lightning, then the Master of Puppets, and then to Justice, where they're really stretching the tracks out and almost having progressive metal type of things mm. seeping in. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, again, it's quite a long song for them as well. I think it's topping out at like seven minutes or something like that. Like it's getting into that sort of register, but there's not one moment of it that I think is misplaced or boring. Yeah, it's seven minutes, 27. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, there's tons of fucking long songs on Justice, which doesn't really stand out on that regard. It is one of the most popular songs, as I say. 1,469 times it's been played wow. live, which must be one of their top songs. I mean, they're going to play it at every concert for the rest of their lives, uh, understandably. It was first performed September 11th, 1988 in Budapest, Hungary. It was last performed just over a month ago in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That was March 13th, 2019. Um, Yeah. It is a astonishing piece of music. Any more thoughts on the track, Aaron? Yeah, I don't think that one is Metallica's greatest song. That's probably Master of Puppets. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that one is their most important song. It was a gateway for people like me to discover the band, especially through the music video. And then Metallica played this on the Grammys. They were getting critical recognition. And this is kind of the bridge to the mainstream that Metallica crossed, for better or worse. Yeah. It kind of laid the groundwork for the monster success of the Black Album to follow. It really did. And, you know, you mentioned the music video there, which I don't think I've... I can't really think of any of the music videos in history that kind of add speech to to the to the you know to the song and kind of become part of the song. And when I when we did our music video recap with my with my good friend Sam, who um, I should mention by the way, dear listeners, myself and my Sam's Tom Waits podcast Down in the Hole is now back. Um, we've rebooted it and we've got a new episode out. So search Down in the Hole in your in your feed. But um, Sam wasn't too familiar with with Metallica. God bless him. He only really knew Tom Waits and the Beatles. He hasn't got the most expansive taste. And he, he loved this song, but he'd only listened to the music video. And when he listened to the Justice version, he was disappointed that the clips weren't there. And the clips do add something, don't they, narratively? Like, they they, they do make it a bit more of a fuller experience. They certainly do visually. Now, I like, if I'm listening to the song, I prefer, obviously, the original track. But yes, when you're watching the music video, it does add to the whole atmosphere of the song. So, of course, it's playing from Johnny Got His Gun, 1971, has a lot of dialogue from that. And Timothy Bottoms is the guy that we see most as playing Joe Bonham, who's the the main character. And um, especially the final scene as the camera pulls out of that darkened ward is, you know, still gives me shivers to this day. And the video was debuted January 20th, 1989 by Bill Pope and Michael Solomon. And, And yeah, you're right. It did kind of change everything Dave, always good to have you, man. Um, so, yeah, you have been on a fuck ton, right? I mean, you've been on my Battle Rap podcast. Like, you're someone that I seem to just have on my shows. I am Tom. Wherever there is Tom, there is me. 
the perennial guest, as it were. That's me. That's me. Yeah, that's still there. I'll and... probably put it out of my headstone, to be honest. <laughs> I remember us doing, because as I said before, you've been on the show really early on. I think like it's the fourth episode, all in my hands. And I knew from doing the battle rap and whatever, and I wanted to get you on the show, and you were a fan of the band. But I remember asking you, I think at the time, what songs you want to do in the future, like what do you actually want to choose. You went for Shorty Straw pretty much instantly. It's my favourite Metallica song, Your like, favorite? ever. I don't think there's a better song than it, not blackened, not anything. Damn. Not even the little sleepers on St. Anger, because there's some good ones <laughs> on St. Anger. Are, yeah, but I mean, no, I, Shorty Straw, what, Shorty Straw's better than, than Battery? Easy. Easy. Fuck Battery. I mean, Fuck I... Orion. In the bin. <laughs> Pretenders. <laughs> this is a champion. This is Metallica. Mmm, mmm. Mm. It this is. This Trapped Under Ice. There's no other band that could do this. <laughs> I mean, you're right in the fact that it is Metallica, because one of the things that, I mean, we'll get into the innards of the song, you know, after the emails and stuff like that, but one of the things that did surprise me up front was how few riffs actually are individual pieces of music in this song, in this six minute, 30, um, six second song, like, you know, Shorty Short is just comprised of these kind of just jigsaw pieces of deadly rhythm that form together and yeah there's some crazy riffs and imagery and mccarthyism and dave as i said we welcome emails on this show we've got two emails recently talicapod.gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me correspond i look forward to reading them out on the show patreon is there as well if you want to support you want to give back the so what falls on them a little video series exploring metallica's magazine so what as well as episodes like... i love those by the way yeah no thank you man yeah they are um i, I don't know whether they're just going to get taken down instantly because i don't even blur out the text but it's just you know a fandom kind of preservation steez i love it it's very diy like you're you're covering zines now. Yeah, <laughs> Metallica zines, but you're right. Yeah, love it, love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't know what other bands had their level of zineness. Like it's so probably stuff like New York Dolls and the Clash. Yeah, or like oh, okay, so like yeah, like yeah, the yeah. old sniffing glues and stuff. Stuff, stuff Morrissey would have bought in like yeah, the, the yeah early stuff 70s. Morrissey would have wallpapered his flat with. <laughs> yeah if you've got stuff like a like morrissey wrote to enemy prodigiously i think i mean he did like hundreds of them so yeah he's got if you want to be like morrissey not not in that sense not not recent morrissey but if you want to emulate him metallicapod.gmail.com the first email is from kenny he says hi tom i love the show such a good idea and even better execution i enjoyed the search uh, seeking destroy episode with ivan where you discuss best debut albums would you agree appetite for destruction and corn's debut album should feature as some of the best ever uh dave debut albums i mean uh, appetite completely uh, that's one of my all-time favorite albums full stop i don't really know corn's debut are you familiar with that yes okay i love corn like shamelessly as well yeah. because of my age like when i was in my teens they sure. big and i was like wow i'd never heard anything like it and they all looked so just garish and mm-hmm. like they needed a wash and they were just free and young and playing heavy music and it was brilliant corn's first album though is probably their best riff wise drum wise too very tribal very it sounds like faith no more's drums but put over like a, a heavier riff and rhythm section it's really good mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the one with the girl on the swing and the the silhouette of the menacing Dementor there, and the corn spelt out in the sand. And blind is on there, which I know. And ball tongue. I, I, if you say so. <laughs> you have no idea. Just like, yep, that's <laughs> yeah. <the one." laughs> but the second track, yeah, ball tongue is on you should there. Listen to the second track. The riff and the intro drums on that are fucking phenomenal. It's some, like getting a kick in. <laughs> some called faggot on there. 
quite simply. Big, big fan of that. Yeah, yeah. Big so, call and response from the crowd on that one in 2019. <laughs> it's a but, hit. But I mean, like, you know, oh, man, debut albums, other debut albums that we can go for. Uh, I mean, let me think. What was Mother Love Bones? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that kind of like came out after he died. Like, yeah. Um, beautiful, beautiful record. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, Star Dog Champion. Yeah, that Apple record. Dookie. Is... Dookie. Yeah, Dookie's a very good shout. What's Pantera's debut? Was that oh, Cowboys? Oh well, no, no. The, I mean, Cowboys was their fifth record. They did. Four. What was their debut? Their debut. I never got like, the order. I forget what it's called. It's called like metal music. I might be getting the wrong, but it's when they were like glam out. Debut albums is quite a difficult question, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to sort of accurately think back. Yeah, and and some bands like Soundgarden, like the Beatles. Even though I love Please Please Me, I wouldn't say it's like you know an incredible album. But yeah, I mean, there's Oasis. so many people like that. Oasis, yeah, Oasis definitely, maybe, yeah, I would certainly yeah, put that. That's so I can never remember if Morning Glory or definitely maybe come first. So I just said the band. I was like, they've got one. Uh, Rage Against the Machine phenomenal band every album of theirs is great yeah 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 uh, i mean they metallica just played a cover of a did a doodle of theirs in manchester uh, stone roses really like their stone. debut as well there's a good album it's a fucking crazy i mean stone roses is such an odd left turn like their first album was this beautiful virtuoso dream pop with this manchester rhythm core and the second one was just led zeppelin like uh, the second one's really weird yeah it's good so you can listen I, I like to it in but... pieces yeah. But you can't listen to it as a whole. Yeah, it's re- it's re- it's very bluesy, slidey, guitar-heavy, and uh, Ian Brown is kind of sunken in the mix. And Anyway, uh, let us know. Debut albums, email us. What are your favourite yeah. debut albums? I would like to hear that. Uh, there are, obviously, a, a fuck ton that we haven't mentioned. You've been screaming out to so send those in. Uh, Kenny concludes, As said, love the show. I saw Metallica live in Dublin in 1992 when I was 13, and since I've seen them seven times, last time being Slain Castle earlier this month. Such a compare and contrast of concerts over 27 years. Keep up the good work. Regards, Kenny. Thank you, Kenny. And just quickly from Tommy, Tommy Trinklow's been on the show before, most recently on the Junior Dad episode, which was a great episode. We both sort of connected spiritually to that song, and it was a really open discussion, and yeah, I remember that very fondly, and the track as well. He said, love the most recent episode in which you summarise your adventures to Twickenham show, so yeah, guys, check that out, obviously, did a Twickenham recap. It was quite brief looking back, it was only like 20 minutes or so, but... You've seen Master of Puppets a few times, whatever. I don't mean that's not downplaying it, but you know, it, it's more about me trying to get fans at my meetup and meeting a few. But yeah, go check that out. That desperation. Did so you have a good time though? I had a great time. There you go. I had and a you fun got to see Ghost. I got to see Ghost. As said on the show, didn't really get them, but I know yourself. Like you just look at me as a heathen right now. And just backhand after yeah. comedy backhand with a fish. Right. <laughs> but- yeah. Very good band, but not so much musically. They're very college butt rocky Eurovision sounding, sure. but the 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 band itself, like the the action and the uh-huh. uh, like the story they've put into it, I get it. Like I dig it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I and it, it worked certainly in that context, but to me musically Ah, uh, I don't know. It kind of like Mastodon doing slightly better. My my asthma. A lot of people talk about it as an instrumental. I didn't find that very stirring, really. But he says, summarize your adventure to the Twickenham show, as well as pretty much every other episode. Your linguistic acumen always leaves me intrigued and entertained. I may be vacationing to GB, so you know maybe I'll bump into Tommy. Tommy also mentioned his uh, data remember podcast that he might end up doing potentially. But if he doesn't, no one out there steal it. You know, there's 
Are there among thieves? No, there isn't. No, just go do uh, ADTR. Go do it with Brad Blazik. I think he's a big fan of single podcast theory and whatever. But this is a very meta podcast conversation, Dave. Excuse me on this tangent that I'm going on. It's all right. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, get in touch with me with MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Um, we're going to dig into Shortest Straw. And we'll jump straight into it. So, the intro of this track, the opening, uh, ba-dum-bum. Ba-dum-bum. Ba-dum-bum-bum. It feels like the far-off stomps of a megalodon. Like, you don't quite know what's coming, but you know it's going to be heavy as fuck. Yeah, it's weird you say that. In my notes, I've written down that it's like a heavy gallop mm. that leads into the lick. It's like a, an animal. Like, you know when they like they sort of rear up yeah, before yeah. They, they get to it? Like, they go into, like, battle. It's very <laughs> thunderous. I love it. It really is, and it's kind of playing chicken with the listener. Like, obviously, you listen to it a lot, you know where it's going, but it just kind of, it's very off kilter, you know, Injustice, Metallica, one morning, and through that, got a little maffy. You all got very yeah. maffy in some places. There's a lot of, you know, just silences that they play with and things they hang on, and these ideas we see repeated, you know, explicitly in like Death Magnetic and stuff like that, but the Black Album was in very main, low and reload, a remedy to this sort of overthinking. But I absolutely love it. And it's an ever-changing force, this song, as a lot of Justice is. Like, riffs are altered at the ending, uh, certain drum parts change. It's just this, uh, this, this mass of frenzy. It's a completely fractured structure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there was any attempt to keep it in order. It's just chaos, and I think that's why I really like it. Because yeah. of its album placement as well, it comes just after one, that's but right, just yep. before Harvester of Sorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's two really the oh my god refs in their own right but then yeah. short straw just sits in the middle and that's it's true fucking that's oh, oh, honestly yeah it's the best song that they have yeah i mean for me it's a marvel of the invention as i say there aren't that many riffs in there and the the, the dun, 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 that riff that comes in from the intro you know grow some legs with the drums like, charging for furlongs and furlongs mm. of this frenetic thumping and you're like what the fuck is this then you get that little lick before like the pre-verse oh it's screeching yeah. it's lovely yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. and what it... what i do like though tom mm-hmm. is there's a whole lore behind the song that people think it's a reference to uh, bus placement because he drew straws to see who would be I've on the bus that. yeah yeah and Cliff. famously kirk hammer asked kurt to move uh mm-hmm. cliff i said kurt twice yeah yeah but yeah, it's just, ah, excitement over this song, very much so. Yeah, it's, you know, this riff that charges through, this riff that we will hear in the chorus as well, and in other places underneath the solo. I mean, the song, again, makes really good use of that. Into another riff that will recur throughout. Get that biting chug at the end. It really has a, uh, a serpentine appeal, that coil there, that, that kind of stabbing of the notes that are always familiarly ended with, you know, him chugging down below on the G string. But yeah, I just, uh, I think as, as a Piece, it's just it makes sense as a kind of you know middle of the song to build around. I love uh, Lars's snare patterns that follow the lick as well. Mm. A little riff like the the screeching one is very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Lars a lot on this album though. Oh, he he was very. It yeah. was weirdly not as hard hitting as it sounds. Like because as he got older, he seems to hit the drums fucking a lot harder now. He seems to belt them like he's putting his all into it. But back then, he just play it seems and he'd hit them as hard as it came and it was kind of nicer i like that and i like the way as well in a similar fashion that hetfield's rhythm guitar in the verse kind of you know matches the melody dun, 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 dun. and the suspicion is your name your honesty to blame it's a ferocious opening couplet 
Yeah, there's... What, um... Hold on, it's, uh... It's gone for me now. The, the Red Scare. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, McCarthyism. Whole... Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a very political song, apparently, if you take one route, and then it's about Cliff if you take the other yeah. route. So I'm, I'm not sure, because it depends. It seems like it's a lot of, like, internal fan discussion on the Cliff thing, more than the band, because they don't seem to conform or deny it. They're just like, whatever. Yeah, it feels quite out of character for them. They, they, they don't really eulogise anyone, apart from Lenny, nah. I guess, but... I love just the, the inferences of the Red Scare. I mean, it's there, and like, you know, maybe James has said, okay, this is about it, but it's not too overt in the lyrics, but it does play into a kind of wider idea of systematic oppression. And I do think the Red Scare is a really kind of ir- interesting thing. I know Arthur Miller was caught up in that. Yeah, the verse, it, it just works for me on a momentum level and kind of similar to like And Justice for All, the title track as well. It just kind of goes up a key in the verse. The riff doesn't necessarily change. It kind of tightens the screws there and then for me dave personally one of my all-time favorite ever metallica riffs is the i guess you would call it pre-chorus if the da 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 i love how it's just like such a tasteful connecting phrase there but so thrashy it could play in a live action version of golden axe before a battle that one like you could come it's just this fantastic battle music i want i would love wait was that on snm no. I want to hear that with an orchestra. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because well, I was just thinking, was it on SNM? No, but they're doing SNM 2 this year, so. I'd love not. to hear a big orchestra. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could definitely hear that. I could definitely hear that. And, it, you know, that gives way that riff, which we hear versions. I think we hear it three times. There's three choruses in this song. And James, as they say, tinkers with it and adds certain dissonant levels to it um, as it gets towards the close, which I love. Getting into the chorus, you know, for me, a lot of people talk about load and reload, and that supposedly has this innate swaggerness to it, but kicking into the chorus of Shortest Straw always just feels so good, so much better, fits like a glove, this unforgettable, ineradicable groove there. I like the structuring of it as well. I like the structuring mm-hmm. of his lyrics. I think yeah. they go really well. Yeah, I think yeah. he enunciates perfectly in this song, on this album as well. Uh-huh. He's just, he's on the money. That's prime Hetfield. It is, it is. And you're so right. Yeah, the da 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 And the way he backs himself up as well with Shortest Straw, and that becomes a repeated phrase, and, you know, rub you raw, just that sort of barked out of nothing. It's got everything you need. Uh, and then... As it comes into the second verse, though, you know, like, uh, as the riff comes to the end of the chorus, mm-hmm. I really like that part. I don't know what you'd call it either. It's not bridge. Is that bridge? Yeah, I guess. It's, yeah, it's kind of just a little... Just motif. like there's little, like mm-hmm. you said, how there's little fractured pieces. It's one of those parts that it could go anywhere, mm-hmm. but it's, it's there, and I really like it. And, you know, been pulled for you as well, the pronoun. Yeah. Powerful. The witch hunt thing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lyrics are excellent fucking love yeah. the lyrics yeah yeah uh the 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 blatter and disarray disfigure is said the blatter maybe that's a misspelling now i've never heard that term but uh yeah i mean reckoning painstaking deafening it just has those classic hetfield you know polysyllable barks there and the song doesn't weirdly have a middle section. It kind of just repeats the riffs we've already heard up to this point. So normally most songs will have a kind of, you know, breakdown bridge or whatever. This doesn't really have that. In its place, it has quite a, um, 
you know, I'd say mildly successful solo. Um, I do respect the solo for what it does. There's a lot of goofy sounds in this solo, Dave. Um, yeah. A lot, a lot of harmonics and shit. It's a strange one. It sticks out when you compare all the other solos and mm. ones that you would think would be your favourite. This one's like very ping-pongy. Just it like is. It, it's quite cool. And... It has kind of like, like this double-stop pedal point in the middle of it after these real just kind of dive-bomby ideas. It's it's a very like what's like a, this bravado in this solo. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's pissing around for a reason in this one. I, it seems to me yeah. he's doing something like for him. He's obviously got a reason for it, is what I'm trying to say. But I'm stumbling over my words because I'm a fucking idiot. But it's just I love it. Again, it could go in any song. It's it's a decent solo, but it's here and that's where it should be. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it does open with a lot of these um, odd ideas. Well, not odd, but just kind of stuff that guitar players were doing at the time. But it doesn't play into, like, I don't know, they, they don't really weaponize anything melodically there. It just kind of makes these noises. And then we have the part where the drums fall back and it's at the riff of the main guitar. And then there's just Kirk sort of, you know, ascending and descending and just kind of playing nothing, but an enjoyable nothing, into a more typical Richie Blackmore, Malmsteam sort of climb there. That's a show, yeah. You know, that that sort of idea. Kirk always, you know, inspired by that, and, you know, really do like that end of the section as well. Altogether, maybe the solo isn't the greatest thing, but it's almost like, you know, there's lots of it that does work, and I think it plays into... Because the song's so rigid, and the song's so mannered, and this is just a little kind of splash of chaos at the fourth minute mark. Yeah, it's, it's wildly out of place. Like, considering the chugging riff, it's got decent gallop, it's pounding, the lyrics are there, everything's good, it's really aggressive, and then there's this really playful, like, bravado, light on the toes, dainty solo with ping-pong bits in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. Would, would you expect any less? No, no. I mean, that that is what Kirky Baby does, and I actually saw Kirky him... Baby. I mean, he gets called that uh, by, uh, by Het, so... Uh, yeah, I know, and... Yeah. Papa, I'm familiar with the whole Papa Hat thing as well. <laughs> Very strange. I uh, I saw Kirk playing that. Oh, I saw the band playing this live, actually, in Birmingham. So this song has been played uh, 98 times. So not, you know, it's not too sparse there. And but... rightly so. Yeah, yeah. It's been, you know, it's actually debuted in uh, London, England, uh, May 11th, 1990. Uh, last played March 6th of uh, this year, 2019. But yeah, I saw it uh, two years ago in Birmingham. And I remember really enjoying it, so I rewatched the clip just before it went on. And Kirk does a terrible job with the solo. I mean, it's quite a tough solo, to be fair. Yeah. But, uh, I, yeah. I don't think it'd be one you would nail live. True. No, it's kind of an in-the-studio thing, isn't it? It's not uh, easy to replicate. I'm impressed with how consistently he still gets a solo on one, even yeah. though he's getting older. But not a, not a, a single note out of place. He's just like, yep, that's what I do. I did this. Gonna do it again. He's wonderful. Yeah. And they, you know, the song after the solo kind of has a cool little, I love how there's this giant solo and then there's a little like two chord break and then just go straight back into it. And, yeah. You know, really breakneck. It doesn't let up at all. Like once it starts and it starts going with the riff, like you said, then you get to the solo. It's like you're being wrapped in mesh. It just keeps going round and round and round. Mm-hmm. But it's comfortable. It's Okay. It is. It's weird. The, the song feels like it's chasing you. The riff is chasing you down, but you're fine with it. You're like, it's whatever. <laughs> like, just let it catch. 
and the, the you know the lead break returns as well there's more wah there's more typical maybe of kirk um towards the end and then we get the we didn't really mention this before but before the solo really kicks into it there's a like these kind of you know melodic lines that played on like uh fade to black and orion and those sort of ideas but but it still works and this returns as well and then as the song closes as you know it, it draws to an end it kind of has a lot of false starts and endings doesn't it it plays with you once more it's one of those songs that feels longer than it is when you listen to it. Yeah, but you're, yeah. You're not upset about it being longer. You're more upset. They're like, oh, it's only six minutes. Because I listened to it about 25 times. Yeah. When you were like, yeah, we're going to do it. I was like, ah, oh, finally, an excuse to listen to it even more. Because it's on pretty much every day for me. Yeah. And I listened to it tonight, like four or five times just before I did this. And I love the end of the song more than I like any other part. Mm. Because there's no need for any of it it's unnecessary they could end it after like the second post chorus true very true like there's no need for any of it but it's fucking brilliant Mm -hmm. it's excessive and i think i like it because it's excessive because i'm excessive i drink too much sometimes i eat too much i'll do other things too much there's too much of this and i still want more of it I mean, just the song is relentless, you know, it's labyrinthine, like, you know, and just, you never you can never get your orientation there, and the way it yanks itself, and the tone as well, we haven't really even touched on the tone, like that claustrophobic, choking guitar sound. It's amazing, and to think, you about 1988, yep. right, it's on Unjustice, what what song on Unjustice is probably your, your favourite? Probably Blackened. Everyone says Blackened. Mm. Like Dire Zeeves right there. Di- I mean, yeah, yeah. Dire <laughs> Eye of the Beholders right there. Uh, yeah. Harvester Sorrows right there. Yeah, Harvester. Yep, yep, yep. One shortest. Every this is a greatest hits. This <laughs> album. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah. And yeah. I think Shortest Straw would be the first single. Sure, I mean, yeah. Shortest Straw people, let us know what you think. Um, as we always do, we have opened it up to you guys on Twitter. So at Metallica Pod, shout out to all the people who have given their feedback. I did notice people discussing it quite a people, lot? Which yeah, people obviously reacting. You know, with glee to this song, Ralph saying, "So, how do you follow a masterpiece like one on an album? Will it have to be this barn burner of a song? It's a phenomenal track of arguably the band's best, most progressive album. Everything about this song is fantastic. James's lyrical and vocal delivery about the scourge of McCarthyism was spot on. A young me had to run to the dictionary to look at words like Nadia, megalomania, etc., <laughs> and then to a history book to fully understand this. Number one, the riffs are top notch, and Lars's drumming is masterfully done. Kirk's solo on this one is also outstanding. Oh, and." If you listen real hard, Jason's bass is in there somewhere. And I can hear Jason's bass on this song. Can you? Yeah, she can. And his backing vocals are really, really nice. Mm-hmm. He's, a great He's got that good roar. Just... We could talk about Jason for hours. Though. Yeah. Like There could be a 10-hour podcast on just how everything he does, even the, the <laughs> tiniest of things, makes such a big difference. <laughs> Um, he said the last time I so I've had the pleasure of hearing this live a few times the last one was in 2009 and it's quite a treat more live for this one please uh, Chaz and Kat saying gotta be up there with James's best lyrics and storytelling I love the third verse especially your hell is multiplied oppressive damage done your many turn to none to nothing and channels read one word said blacklisted is that metal enough for you Lars's early double bass in that verse also one of Justice's great quirks. It would be interesting to hear your view on the recurring theme of Vertigo, as it always stumped me. Finally, this song was a live show highlight mid-92 with Jason's punishing background vocals on the chorus. Good show. Vertigo? I don't really have any thoughts on that. I mean, if you want to 
the whole witch hunt thing, though, and the sure. whole that uh, it's been pulled for you, I wouldn't say it's Vertigo, unless maybe he's... Well, we don't know his personal circumstance. We don't know how he's interpreting things. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Could could be to him, I guess. You know what? Actually, thinking about it now, yeah? If this album was a steak, this song would be the garnish. Like, this is the the garnish like that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And the album is just, to me, it's just a big boulder. It's just heavy and hard. And short of straw, it's just like if someone's put some parsley on a brick. Does that make sense? <laughs> Triton saying, amazing song with punishing riffs and one of Lars's finest performances. The dry production also helps to get the message across. I love it. Angela saying, an absolute beast of the track. Very intense. Deep Purple Podcast saying, great track. And then he provides a 8-bit cover that uh, he did of the song. I've seen that. So, yeah, so that was pretty fucking awesome. And then Garrett Brooks finally says, top 10. Shit, it's probably top 5. Dave, any final thoughts on the track? I just think that everyone sells it short yeah i mean I think ironically it, weirdly though it's because i think it's because of its placement on the album mm. and it's just a, a weird place you've already listened to one you've already had black and you're four songs into a metallic album but like in reality it's like 20 minutes who really listens to the fifth song i think it gets gypped it should have been the opener it's phenomenal wow, the and opener. they should close every show with it <laughs> I think it's honestly, it's, I can't stress enough how much I really, really like this song. Harvester of Sorrow, maybe not the most elegant track out there. Uh, definitely has some DNA with bells in that just sheer chunkiness uh, that, yeah. it, that it inhabits. But um, yeah, let's get onto the song then. Uh, as I said before, I was quite surprised that you know a few people out there don't really dig the track. Uh, one of the things that I do before every episode is I refer to my vast library of Metallica books, in particular Mick Wall's Enter Night, which I think low key is probably the best Metallica biography I've read, and I've read quite a few. Yeah, of I've read it. Yeah, yeah. He's you know he's a Kerrang journalist. He's of that stock. I really like Paul Brannigan and Ian Winwood's two-parter, Birth School Metallica Death, but I think it's almost a little too esoteric. It's a little too arch. They're trying to sort of see not what isn't there, but they're a bit more interested in the money and whatever, <coughs> whereas Mick is just giving you a real faithful play-by-play. Mm-hmm. And Mick, I love you. Mick calls Harvester boring and plodding. Yeah, I don't agree with no. that. I mean... I think, and another thing about the Mick Wall book, I love that book because uh, he had like personal anecdotes from his yeah, like, yeah, experiences yeah. with Lars. I love that book, just a side note. Mm. But anyways, he called it boring, and I can see how it, it maybe on the record it's boring, but live, when you hear bum, 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 that, and then the crowd just, you know, that's, yeah. that's like iconic to me. I don't think that that's boring at all, and I think... No. That one, that intro, like you know, the bam bam like that, that if you were just an outside fan and you didn't know anything about Metallica and you saw how that music affected affects that crowd, 
you're gonna be like, oh my fucking god, like what is this shit? Like that is amazing. Like yeah. I think that this is the opposite of boring. This like makes yeah. the crowd go insane. Yeah, yeah. Horribly plodding is what he says. Yeah. That's the exact quote. And yeah, I mean, yeah. if I boring Metallica songs to me do two things that make them boring. They're either really, really long. Uh, Harvest is not even six minutes long, which is quite impressive. Yeah. Just I think Harvest packs a lot of stuff in, and they repeat their riffs, they repeat their motifs. Metallica love to do this. They love to I- introduce a pre-bridge riff or a post-solo riff, and then do it, and mm-hmm. then James sings over it. This is very different, and I love the intro. The as you say, it's just a, a, a clatter. It's in media res. You're really, yeah. you know, you're thrown into the narrative. And what do you make of the the riff? Which at first we get the clean riff, then we get the heavier version. You know, the main half. I think it's, oh, it's so labyrinthian, riff, isn't it? Yeah, I think that riff is one of the greatest riffs of all time because mm. because because the way it changes. Okay, so it's it's the same riff. It starts out like the clean part, like you said, and then the only thing Hetfield does is he Paul mutes the the first two strings on the guitar, and they go bum bum bam, and that just totally changes the dynamic of the riff. And I think that that makes it like sound heavy, and that's like attest to how good of a riff it is is because it can have two different completely different feels it's really cool to me it really is it really is and i I, I love the way the song you know moves forward from this it's so satisfying like it's such a classic metal trick really having a clean riff and then just replicating it with heavy guitars and the drums coming to the forefront behind it oh the drums are like marching war drums they're very primal (laughs) you know they're fucking dope they're very distant (laughs) and like there's one snare hit that lars does she literally does one that you hear and it just makes the whole thing feel so cohesive and so aggressive i can't get enough of this intro i have no idea how mick could call this horribly plodding i think it's one, one of the most exciting <laughs> yeah. meta- it's one of the best metallica songs harvester of sorrow i know yeah i think so i i definitely think so like dude the best metallica songs to me are the ones that are the best live and oh. if harvester is live the moscow know, dude, version of harvester is one of the oh best my ever. god yeah actually um before because i knew you know obviously newer is going to do this episode and i was watching just like uh various performances and stuff and i was watching the um the 30th anniversary with jason newstead mm. and you could tell that the harvester is that guy's song because <laughs> dude he loves to go hey hey and i swear to god when when i was watching them it just looked like he no time had passed at all and he would just got it right back into it it was really cool to watch I love watching those. Yeah, yeah. The the Nemes version of this as well, which we covered with Joe C.A. before, is a is a brilliant version. For me, it's it's you have the open chord, then you have a oh man, it's just yeah. so playful and evil sounding. It's such a fun riff, and yeah, it's just, it's, just oh, a crashing yeah. momentum to it. It's a real head nodder. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I um maybe on the album version, I don't know if you've heard this, but like. It real deep in the mix or in the intro, there's like a bit, some type of sound effect. It's like a real yeah, it's like you know a sort of it, swirly sort of yeah. yeah, yeah. I noticed that, and it gives it like some just like big sense of being real big and huge. You know, like sometimes in movies, you know, they'll do sound effects, and you can only notice them when you'll have like a nice subwoofer, and then mm. it's just like something big will pass by the screen. It'll be like a big rumble, and it kind of gives me that type of vibe, where it just gives a big sense of space and hugeness. Like I love that type of stuff. Yeah, it really does. It, it gives you more of an atmosphere, like the, the canvas spreading in front of you. And yeah. just, just just the way it all collects together, this is kind of otherworldly. It's so, so powerful. And the, the riff, it get, goes into an even stronger riff. You, if you listen to the song, you know what we're talking about. It just goes forward and goes forward. And then 
some of James's best vocals as well. I think the verse underneath him is brilliantly put together. And what do you make of the lyrics? Pretty disturbing, right? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's actually disturbing because I think about you know how James came from a broken home and stuff, mm. and it it does seem like it sounds like there's you know my life suffocates planting seeds of hate. I love turned to hate, mm-hmm. trapped far beyond my fate. I feel like uh, like it's basically from the perspective of a pissed off dad that yeah. is a toxic person, you know, and it seems like it's a family type of thing. It's like uh you know been cheated of my youth, so maybe. You know, he he's with this lady and that for his youth and he probably doesn't like it at this point or something like that. It seems like a relationship gone sour to me. Yeah. In uh, in good old Mick Wall's book, yet again, uh, Lars actually speaks specifically about the lyrics, says, quote, lyrically, the song is about someone who leads a very normal life, has a wife and three kids. And all of a sudden, one day he just snaps and starts killing the people around him. And then uh, (laughs) Mick Mick puts a little bitchy comment in as well. He says, if only the music is sounding even half as interesting. Damn it. Oh Damn it. Damn it. Like, I get, I get how you can think, like, yeah. like, maybe that is, but the intro makes up for it, dude. Yeah. Like, and the, the, the cool wrist in it, like, I can get it. But, dude, it's so big and weighty, and, oh, I just, I don't get how he can say that, man. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't understand it either, but, you know, we are all entitled to our own opinions, and yeah. I just want to give a shout-out to all the people on the Twitter as well, at MetallicaPod. Um, normally, before an episode, sort of the morning before, I reach out and see what people think of the song. Got a lot of interesting opinions here from people, so um, shout-out to, shout to Aiden, who came on for the Cunning Stunts episode. He says, one of the only Metallica songs I don't care for, kind of boring and drawn out. Aiden, at your opinion, Phil says, wasn't the biggest fan of this one in the beginning, but enough time with the Moscow performance converted me. I love it now. <laughs> Brendan says it's the poppiest song on the album. So that says something. I, I, I suppose it does. And uh, Kevin Van Dam, great friend of the show, whose name uh, is Aya the Beer Holder, which I just love on Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. He, he says, um, <laughs> concurring with you, actually, Matt, this song requires Newstead's backing vocals. Um, yeah. Frayed End saying probably the most brutal lyrics James has ever written. He he mentions infanticide for God's sake, and he he does. And uh, the, the image, a harvester of sorrow, it's kind of a cliched metal '80s image. But there's something quite powerful and disturbing about that. Yeah, I, like harvester of sorrow. Like I, I I remember James was talking about how like um, part of his writing process was coming up with song titles. Like I remember how he said he wrote Master Puppets. He's like. All right, Master Puppets, what does that even mean? Mm. And I feel like maybe Harvester of Sorrow it comes from that same idea. Maybe like he, yeah. he that was like the title, like, oh, because it sounds cool, dude. Like when you hear Harvester of Sorrow, like, what does that even mean? That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, but you, like, har- you, har- you harvest crops, not emotion. Yeah, so, yeah, it's yeah. kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like maybe he wrote the wrote like the title before that, and then you know wrote lyrics according to the title. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, I do. I and um, what would you make of the chorus then, as we hear language of the mad sort of twisting in the back speaker? Oh, I think I don't know. I think that it's that's kind of just part of like Justice's themes. Like mm-hmm. Justice is really just kind of like fucked up. Like yeah. Freight ends of sanity. Like there's a lot more mental anguish in in Justice than there is in the other albums. I feel like. So I feel like that's just kind of going along with that like whole theme of just like being mentally fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, again, Hetfield is a master of starting verses with with powerful ideas. I love pure black looking clear. 
So it feels like the antithesis, really, you know, uh, pure black and clear, but his mind state now is on a different railing. My work is done soon here. Dr- drink up, shoot in, let the beatings begin. Distributor of yeah. pain. It's just the onslaught. You know, you know what, one of the things I noticed is um, live when he says, well, in, um, in Seattle, the Seattle 89 performance, when he says shoot in, he acts like he's shooting in heroin or right. something. So okay. maybe maybe this is like a drug-induced, you know, rampage or something. Maybe, so I don't yeah. know. He's done the same thing with Fuel. I think he does that on cunning stunts. Maybe, he, yeah, yeah, he, he hits his veins. So maybe that's just something he does like. But yeah, I, I, you know, I could definitely see that. And um, I'm gonna be a bit contrary to how I normally am on the show. I, I quite like Kirk solo in the sense that it's a justice solo. So don't expect the sort of guitar hero theatrics. It's going to be quite obscure. There's a lot of odd note choices. It's it's yeah. lingering. It, it's quite dissonant and menacing. I think. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, like what you said, it's not. It doesn't really like. It's very short. I feel like it, mm. it's very short, and it it um the the beginning you know bam, bam, yeah, like that part yeah. like the beginning. I think that really hooks you in, and like you said, it goes along with that kind of menacing, creepy vibe. Yeah, I think it serves the song really well. Maybe I wish it was a little bit longer, but I mean, yeah, I definitely think what he did do served the song well. I yeah. Yeah, yeah, and as we come out the solo, uh, there's that brief pause, and shout out to Tom Dean on Twitter, he says, love the pause, longer the better, uh, Moscow yeah. on year and a half is the gold standard, and it really is, because it's quite, I mean, Justice in an album, as we've always said, is very suffocating, you know, very claustrophobic, and just that brief reprise that we have, uh, you know, sets up for the end of bit of the song, and, uh, you know, less the solo for me in terms of the guitar playing, I just love the harmonies, I love the, the weird spaces that James and Kirk can have, it's really gnarly, yeah 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 um another thing about the pause too is that that just goes to show you like how tight and like how much of a bond that metallica has as a band because mm. i remember like during the snm stuff they said that the hardest thing about doing that was that they couldn't just feel it out and and you know go for like stuff and you could tell that like the pause they're not like counting that shit in they just like feel it and that's like I love how that's cool. Uh, that's so cool to me because, like, they just have so much chemistry as a band. And, like, yeah, what you said, the harmonies, I think the harmonies at the end do make up for the, the like, the lack of, like, a longer solo. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think th- I love the harmonies. And I think that they're real cool how they go, like, um, like, that real, like, kind of bump, like, that pumping yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. real rhythm. I love that. Yeah. Really until cool. the false end and then they play it again and then come yeah, back in with the pause yeah that's oh yeah that's yeah. so cool that's, I, guess, I guess that's kind of why I like a lot of Death Magnetic it feels very justice to me in the time yeah. changes in the, in the sequencing it's not too straightforward and again as I said before Metallica aren't embellishing anything they aren't really repeating anything like when we hear that line that nah, 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 nah. and the riff comes in pretty much a beat two beats after I don't know the nomenclature there whereas <laughs> I think in hardwired they'd let that they'd let that stew for a little bit longer you know maybe in death magnetic as well but here it's a bit more clean it's a bit more precise and this was the i guess this was the lead single off justice and yeah. um, according to mick uh, it reached number 20 in the uk charts this is probably down to the by now huge metallica fan base that was ready to buy whatever the band did next and apparently he says the variety of formats that they were able able to record in so this is recorded on you know many different uh, renditions there but yeah love this track what do you make of the end of the track where the arpeggio comes back over the riffing to me i like it to me it, it's mixed a little badly. It sounds a little crude. I don't know if that's the point. 
What part right here? Mouth the part to me. I'm, I'm, you know, I, like you I know, really... you know the main riff that opens it, the clean riff. Uh, oh, as, yeah, as the song's ending, that clean riff returns. As was. Sort of oh yeah, 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 out, yeah. Know, now yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I think I think that that's just like a test to like how. That's why I love about Metallica is that they they'll introduce you an idea and then they can figure out how to use the idea so many times and oh, they're yeah. so cohesive and like that's just literally just like them kind of to me it's just like them flexing being like look how fucking cool and like like smart we are just like when I listen to that type of shit I'm just like how did they come up with that type of you know it's just it's really cool to me just to think about like how they came up with that type of thing you know yeah c- compositionally they're always interesting yeah. and, and Lars is no doubt you know part of the yeah. brains uh, behind that but yeah James just sounds so anguished on this track over that locomotive riff um, I, I, I love love this song definitely one of my highlights on harvester um yeah. any, anything more to say on it matt um i mean not really i just i mean to think about like the one of the things that i noticed is that like this song is kind of like like a cousin or like one of their songwriting habits that they do is um in like atlas rise they'll have the the intro you know bam but bam bam but bam bam you mm-hmm. know and then they kind of take that piece and we'll put it in transitions throughout the song and i kind of noticed they do that with the beginning of um with harvester they kind of do the bad and then down you know they kind of do mm-hmm. well they kind of do that throughout the song and then um right before the solo you can notice that lars he plays it on the drums, um, but they don't play it on the guitar. Uh, if you, you can go back and listen to it, I noticed that today. And it's kind of cool how they just imply that type of thing. Just like that's why I said it, it just makes it so cohesive, you know? Yeah, it's it, just, really, it's it really cool does. It really does. It's uh, a terrific track. begin uh, with the frayed ends of sanity and the intro is very different but very familiar to me in 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 one way it's very familiar it feels orion-esque it has quite wide chords you know the sort of drenched sound it reminds me a little bit of the intro cliff's intro of orion um but different in the sense where the oh eel the sort of the the, the chanting temple gang vocals it's yeah very, the old wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah what it's it, you know it's very hypnotic isn't it it's very, just incredible uh the the, me- the melding of these two i would love to know where like where the idea where was the seed planted to use the wizard of oz sample i mean it's so it's such a left field thing for a metal band to use uh, i would love to know where it came from or who came up with it i have no idea yeah yeah i mean we've seen west side story etc incorporated into metallica and lots of the medleys as well you know so they do play uh with their influences there but this is a you know a, a juggernaut of a track, a very oh, you know an, inc- an incredible piece of music, and very in the justice vein, isn't it? Not just sonically, but the way the riffs are composed, they're very repetitive and and jackhammer like, uh, and very entrancing. Absolutely, I mean that 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 sums it up perfectly. The riffs, the riffs for me on justice, uh, like they as you say, they're repetitive, they're they're pounding, but at the same time. They they develop through the song subtly. There are little differences coming here or there as the song progresses. So the more and more you get listening to the songs, get used to the songs, you keep discovering these little subtleties. And 
if you just realize that album is so much more complex than it seems, even after four, five, six, seven listens, it just keeps giving, you know? Yeah, yeah you're, you're completely right. And I think this album in particular puts James on the number one metal guitarist spot, one of the greatest rock guitarists ever for me in this sort of element. Because the riffs are different, you listen to them and they're just little edges. They're almost like cubist paintings. You can view them from certain areas. The timing's always changing and there's certain dissonant things that James is putting in here. And it's a real tour de force for me, this song, if anything, as a showcase of his rhythm uh, discipline yeah i would agree completely um uh, i'm a rhythm guitar player myself and yeah. i've often talked to friends and you know they you know metallica my one influence and now and again they've said to me what is the what the hardest riff you've come across and there's a riff in this song around just before the solo halfway through and it, i always point yeah. to that riff as the example of headfield's precision look at the riff on tab it doesn't seem that easy tried to play it it's it's that it's hard. Was that too hard? But trying to play it as fast and precise as he does, and then you realise his mastery of the guitar. Yeah. You know, it's if, just if, phenomenal. If I'm remembering correctly, it's the Denelan, 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 Denelan. Yeah, that is yeah. Uh, this song, to be honest with you, I've always been familiar with it. But when we do these episodes, we listen to them endlessly. And that moment, that riff, has always been the highlight for me. And I, I completely know what you're saying. I always watch a guitar v- I, before we do the episode. I always watch someone covering it well on guitar on YouTube just to see what it looks like on the fretboard, you know, face up. And and yeah, this riff, the, the hands move so oddly, and they kind of you know they pirouette over each other, and it just no no no, it just has a real sort of a, a trench like quality. Uh, it, it, crazy riff. It's such a strange riff. It's as you say, it's crazy. Crazy is a perfect word. It's it it's it's a headbanger. It's got a groove to it. It's fast. It's precise. It's angry. But as you rightly say, it's so weird the way it's put together. It's so strangely written. It's just fantastic. For my money, best riff on the album. Best riff on the album. On the album, yeah. Better than the sort of black and bridge riff. The da, na, 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 da, da, oh yeah, it was, I love that riff and I love the black and main riff. But yeah. just all the, when all the factors add up, I gotta give it to this riff. And the thing is about it is, the riff comes in in one part of the song and it's gone again. Like any other band would build an entire song around that riff. But these is oh we've got this riff, throw it there as a bridge and that'll be grand. <laughs> it just shows the the endless supply of riffs they had back in those and still today that they could take those level of riffs and just use it as a section instead of a main riff of a song. Yeah, it's a long song, you know, 7 minutes 44. It's one of the longest on the album. And it has a huge instrumental section along with that riff, you know. And that just builds yeah. and builds and, and, and dilates. And, you know, most of this song is just this 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 onslaught, as you say, of riffage that builds in such a... I don't know, there's such a charm to this sort of era of Metallica. You know, it's so techy. It's so flashy. It's it's really them firing on all cylinders. It really is. But I think the key to it, I think what sets them apart, is that even when they get really techy and they get into the strange time and not, it, it's still, you can still tap your foot to it. You can mm. still remember the melodies when oh, it's yeah. over. It's not techy just for techy's sake. It's techy, but extremely melodic and musical at the same time. Yeah, and Lars actually said of this song, quote, it's a bit more musical and intricate than most of the other songs on the album. It's got a pretty long musical middle part with lots of changes and some pretty melodies. Overall, it's pretty much a mid-paced sort of thing, but it's really intricate, and it might take take a couple of listens before you can get into it. And that's entirely true, you know, not just in the sense of its lyrical themes. Um, I've actually got a cool email to read out uh, towards the end of the show from Kevin, uh, who discussed that, Kevin Van Damme, great friend of the show. But, you know, just in its musical stuff, as we said before, it's very shifting the 
perspective. And, you know, I, I really am crazy about this track. What are your thoughts on Kirk Solo, which is very, you know, just this era sort of squeals and dive bombs with, with some promising stuff? Yeah, the solo for me, it, it ties in perfectly to the theme of the song. I mean, the solo, mm. it's it's weird, it's crazy, it's it's at the end of sanity, you know, pound the pun, mm. but it's it's it, and it's the same as you say about the riff shift and perspective and all that thing. Musically, I, I think you nailed the solo. It's it's such a when I say extreme, but it's it's kind of psycho, you know. It's mm. it's not. There are some sections in it that are typical Kirk Kevin sections, of course, but there are some parts in it that. You don't really hear him using any of the songs. I think it's it's one of the solos that stand out for me. Yeah, yeah. And what what, what do you think of the you know what, what James is saying in this song? What what the band is saying here uh, with these very evocative lyrics? Yeah, it's a frightening song when, mm. when you when you read terrifying. Them, it's like a post story yeah. or something. It's yeah, it's haunting. I mean, you you read the lyrics and put yourself in the position of the character and what's happened to him, and it, it is so terrifying. You know. Mm. My favorite uh, section of the song is just before the the solos. Uh, or sorry, just before the chorus, um, when he just barks these words. Like for example, the last time he does it, the height, hell, time, haste, terror, tension. Just these words, mm. these frightening words, just one after the other. Yeah. Bang, 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 bang. Then life, death, want, waste. It's mm. oh, it's so dark. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I completely agree with what you're saying earlier about you know tapping your toe to this stuff. And it is melodic and infectious, especially the old habits reappear, you know, has such a charging, triumphant quality amid yeah. the clamor, amid the chaos, growing conspiracy, fighting the fear of fear. You know, it's that kind of classic archetype, isn't it? Understanding there's something evil around you, but not being able to identify it. This kind of old, empty, you know, hell, <laughs> time, haste, terror are some of the things that he puts together here. Into Ruin, I Am Sinking. And yeah, some of his best work, I would say, Hetfield, this. I love it. Extremely underrated as a lyric writer. I always thought he has been. He's so very evocative, very, you know, just he can conjure up fear or anger, whatever emotion he aims for. He always hits bang on center, you know. Yeah. And you have to remember these lyrics, like, you read these lyrics and they're very mature, very terrifying. And, like, it's a tw- 24, 25 year old guy who wrote them. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was a young guy when he did this. And to have that level of understanding of the, of the, um, of, of the emotions, of the feelings around this kind of stuff at that age. Is, I don't know if it says a lot about him or his talent or what, but either way, it's just brilliant. Some criticism of this song. I'm not saying I echo it, but I have read it uh, you know, in various books, etc., and, and YouTube comments. It's a little long for some people, Ian. I've heard that before. Um, I personally, I don't agree, mm-hmm. um, but I could kind of, I can see where the criticism comes from. I was, as we said earlier, it's it's got a very long instrumental section in the middle. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds repetitive until, as we said, you kind of listen to the song a few times to really understand it and see the tension growing and the way it's all put together. You know, so maybe on first on first listen, you go, oh, God, it's dragging on a bit. But no, if you, if you get to know the song, you realise it, it keeps shifting, it keeps moving. I don't think it's too long. No, no. Uh, it, it does have so many gear shifts, which Justice is really known for. Like, you know, Metallica in the load reload era get kind of stuck in a groove for the whole song, really, and, and continue on that march. But here, I think it's a lot more vibrant. It's a lot more perplexing. And, you know, Justice has a sound, has a scoop sound. You know, a lot of people maybe miss the slightly warmer tinges of Master, etc. Uh, what, what do you make altogether of Justice's sort of sonic aesthetic? It's, it's perfect for, for the... 
I know a lot of people give out, but as you say, the the coldness of the sound, the lack of bass is the big one we always hear. Oh yeah. But it just, you know, for for the for the themes on the album, for the you know the lyric themes and all, and even the type of music, the 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 really precise rhythm work, it's just it just works. It just whether by design or by fluke, the sound matches the messages of the album, mm-hmm. you know and. I I know we're expecting the big remaster this year, and the question is, will they have bass? Will they not? Personally, I hope they don't. I, I hope they remaster it, obviously, but I, I hope they don't jam bass in sure. and give in to, to demands, because I think this the cold, sterile, uh, frightening almost sound. You know, you could it, it's 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 hardly going to be the soundtrack to... Uh, to an upbeat film, you know what mm. I mean. Uh, just the way the production of it is very cold, very horror esque, you know. So I, yeah, I, I think it works. And what I was alluding to earlier was actually from Paul Brannigan and Ian Winwood. Um, I'm not sure if you've read it, Ian, but uh, Birth Score Metallica Death. I have not yeah. in a while. So no, no, it's it. been. A, I actually had Paul Brannigan on the show a, a lot earlier. Like in the early months of the show, we discussed the book and other stuff like that. So that was a great episode. Definitely check that out. But yeah, making reference to Freyland's of Sanity, they say, quote, a composition, the quality of which would be improved greatly were its duration trimmed by two or three minutes. And then it's so complex that it comes as a surprise that the track ever finds its conclusion. No, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, two I'm or like, three minutes? No way. <laughs> that's heresy. But, you know, everyone's <laughs> entitled to... Uh, to their opinion, but uh, this is very true. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. there the conclusion of the song. That's another part. The, the after the last chorus where the uh, where it goes back to the main riff, but the drums hit the riff full time instead. You normally when it goes back to the main riff, the drums kind of give a half time feel. Then after the last chorus, and Hetfield gives out that laugh, and the drums go full full speed one two with the with the main riff. It's kind of a release of the tension, the climax of the song. Great moment, really, really great moment. Uh, as I said earlier, Kevin got in touch with us. Shout out to Kevin Van Dam. You know, had him on the show for Eye of the Beholder just recently. Uh, he's also a patron, really good friend of the show. Uh, send the email, and I want to say to people, please get in touch with me and send me emails for the upcoming songs. It's something that I need to sort of talk about more on the show. Uh, please send in your thoughts. It's always great to read out a selection of people's submissions. Also, get in touch with me at Metallica Pod. So, at the time of us recording this, if you can send us any feedback on uh, fifty three and third, fifty three and third, uh, free speech for the dumb and fuel so any opinions on those songs metallicapod at gmail.com we'll read them out just like we're going to read out kevin's now he says tom i'm probably too late on this but if you want to read my thoughts on frayed ends they are below thank you so much again kevin he says i honestly didn't pay attention to the lyrics until ethan luck did the cover um are you familiar with metal up your podcast cover ep ian say again which one do, do, uh metal up your podcast oh yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, my, yeah. my famed rivals uh, they uh, <laughs> they 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 did an awesome uh, covers EP on their on their Patreon, and, it, and Ethan uh, actually covered Frayed End Insanity, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they're going, well, I don't I don't know whether to praise them too much on this show, but <laughs> right, right, right. It's, uh, no, it's a good friends. show. It's a good they're podcast. Friends. Oh yeah, um, yeah, amazing show, amazing. Show. I, I wish there were more. To be quite honest with you, I love uh, I love hearing um, different approaches to the, to Metallica than my own, and kind of. Yeah. seeing different points of view it's weird it's like it's almost like a school subject isn't it mm, <laughs> you just mm, go study yeah 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 it's just one band but there's all these I mean you know I look at like Kiss for example I'm not really I sort of like Kiss a little bit but I don't really know them that well but I know they inspire a huge fandom 
and they have loads of podcasts, you know, like the equivalent of, say, football podcasts or whatever, you know, there's so many of them. Uh, but, yeah, Kevin says, the lyrics are probably too personal, dark or deep for the tempo of the song, especially live, in my opinion. As I said before, James's lyrics are at their best when they flirt with specificity, but leave the door wide open for interpretation. For instance, I can think of a few possible interpretations of the following, fo- uh, the following lyrics here. The hell of middling success, paranoia of drug use, mental illness brought on by outside circumstances, depression though overtly mentioned the song speeds through the lyrics and seems satisfied with itself on the riffs which is great but leaves behind some heavy lyrical content it fits with the dark content of the justice album and seems to attempt to set up the closing the closing two tracks two tracks in terms of subject matter though it fails on tone uh, I like Kirk's work in this song. Speed applied smartly, in my opinion. The, this obviously has the through the never riff in its first iteration. Love the riff work towards the end. Like the rest of Justice, it's too long for everyone who's not a diehard Metallica for anyone who's not a diehard Metallica fan. That's my two cents for what it's worth. Kevin, thank you so much. Some great points there, and you know, I I totally get what you're saying about Kirk's. I think the speed is applied well. I think. There's lots of nice sections. A long solo. You know, it's probably up there with his longest solos, actually. And he keeps it interesting. Um, any any closing thoughts on Freight Ends, Ian? Um, well, to be honest, I'm surprised to hear the the a lot of criticism um, mm. that, that you've discovered for it. I really thought this was held up as one of the ultimate Metallica songs, especially really? where we have to mention, of course, the the campaign to get it played live. after, And they finally did after all the years. Yeah. That was always the song that everybody wanted. Oh, they had to play Freight Ends, play Freight Ends, and finally Finland got it. <laughs> I, I like it. I, I think a lot of Justice is better than it. I think I think One is better. I think Blackened is better. I think Dyer's Eve, Shorty Straw, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can, and Justice yeah, I, I for probably... All is probably better than Freight Ends. Like, I mean, not To Live Is To Die, pretty much most of them, so... Harvest and you know, doesn't that say a lot about the album? That you oh could, When God. you really think about it, you're like, well, maybe that sounds better, that sounds better. Yeah. But... It's still it's it's not a slight on afraid ends. It's no, just no, oh, know, God, it's, no. oh God no! Uh, the album is just it's how can you fault it really? You know, I, d- I don't know if you felt the same, but in general, in music, I found that I re I know that I really like an album. Obviously, if you listen to it a lot, and when you start to get new favorite songs because uh, you've listened to it so much, you know, certain ones you pride yourself on, you know, and then other ones you, you sort of dismiss. And I'm sure a lot of people, as you say, Freight Ends is hold, held highly and, you know, they play it live. Well, they did play it live for a little period of time, um, you know, just bringing it out of retirement. I mean, it's one of those songs. They only performed it 12 times live. Uh, the first time was May 28th, 2014 in Helsinki, Finland. And the last time was, you know, just over a year later, September 19th, 2015, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. So, I mean, nice, nice they played it at all, I suppose. You know, good of them to do that. Yeah, and I, I think we'll see it again in the future. I think it's going to be one of those songs where you can almost see James on stage now, you know, saying, we got a special song for you. We haven't played this in a while, you know. And I say it will pop up once or twice uh, per tour, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, they knew the demand was there. The, it, it was almost a running joke they would mention it themselves you know and I, it was the by request tour that finally got it played and you know I remember when that tour was announced and on the message boards of the official site there was a lot of oh this is Freight Ends I'm going to get Freight Ends and mm. it was actually a radio station in Finland ran a uh, kind of ran a campaign to encourage people to vote for the song to get it done in their country and that's that's how it happened it did get done
And of course, we're talking about justice today. To Live Is To Die, the penultimate track from that exceptional record. Like, this song stands out a bit, obviously, because it is predominantly an instrumental. Sonically, in general, Brad, what do you make of Justice? A lot of people are divided on its claustrophobic aesthetic. Yeah, it's very heavy. Uh, definitely missing the bass from Newstead's point of view. Um, but I like it. Uh, it's a basket full of riffs. There's so many <laughs> good riffs in there that even try to play as a beginner. Oh my god, it's easy their most difficult album from top to bottom, like. Yeah, I agree. It's just it's so much going on. and I mean, this song's a prime example of just, you know, their technique on display, the way they can, can galvanize what on paper are quite basic riffs, but they stretch them across, you know, this whole tableau on this track, almost ten minutes here of To Live Is To Die. But of course, contextually, this song is a tribute to Cliff, and it's just so tragic how things fall. And I was just thinking, like, it's one of the things that really makes the band, kind of elevates their stature in a certain way, kind of, you know, grimly. And I don't I don't mean this in a, you know, in a positive light or anything like that, but it just adds to the mythology, isn't it, that a founding member and someone who is, even when he was alive, seemed so spiritual and ethereal, was, was taken in this tragic accident. Yeah, the the album seems like they're so angry, and then this song kind of like lets out their emotions. Yeah, it's what it seems like to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's the whole all of justice. Probably the sound mentioned before, you know, a byproduct of that is this idea of catharsis of of them mourning through it and then digging inwardly, and you know, sonically, um, we get these riffs that are so skewered and types of just that are so complex and and enigmatic. But um, let's get into the track then. And I love the fading. You know, it really feels like we're on the end of something here, that something's concluding. And the swooning of these acoustic melodies, the doom, 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 like it's very emotional and, and resonant. It feels like something you'd hear at a funeral. It's this elegiac dirge that's uh, both quite courtly and medieval and then you know, very modern and essential. It's kind of that classic Metallica classical intro, isn't it, from the band? Yeah, it's like they only know how to mourn through their instruments Mm. at that time. Yeah, it's spellbinding, really. And I love when it comes back at the end. I think it may be my all-time favorite kind of classical Metallica, uh, you know, um, affectation there that they adopt. Like, it just has this... Um, quite haunting power that you know you're just you're just so aware that this is such a cliff tribute in so many ways and you can't get his you know for me personally I just find myself dwelling on him throughout kind of like with Orion as well certain sections kind of posthumously became adopted with that but the crushing reality of life uh, comes bearing down on proceedings with that pneumatic drill of just chugging segueing in that classic justice sound yeah, heavy guitar, heavy uh, drums, and then the classical kind of intertwining in, in mm. through that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a potent mixture. 
getting into that huge swaggery riff, you know, boom, boom, like it has such a such a stomp to it, uh, you know, such a such a, such a rhythm inside. And what do you what do you make of it? It's a bit similar to Cthulhu in the sense that a lot of the scaffolding of the song is based around the beating heart of just a giant slab of Hetfield. Yeah, it uh, it definitely repeats heavy riffs, uh, and then then the solos kind of uh, thread it all together. The I mean the the riff gets quicker and quicker. The dun da da dun da da dun da da dun da da dun bum bum bum, and the way it stops. Lars is getting quicker, but the riff itself is putting its foot off the pedal. And I love the way they play with the timing there, and just. Yeah, it changes paces a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it's like, like, that kind of feels like what they were aiming for with Load. Like, it does have that sort of Texan kind of, you know, strut to it that I really, really appreciate. It cocooned within this, um, you know, glorious, phrenotic track that, that, that is mourning uh, the passing of Cliff and eulogizing him and, you know, adopting and taking light from a lot of his teachings and a lot of what he went for in terms of the compositions. Um, we get Kirk, like, as all these instrumentals do, like Orion and, um, you know, like Cthulhu, we get Kirk building ideas on top and Suicide Redemption, stuff like that, in the second go around. I love the octaves of that. Wow, 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 wow. Like, I think he does great work there yeah he uh definitely one of his best in my opinion i really really like the movement and uh you know just the character of it and the way again it builds up with the riff and it, you know it is repetitive as you say but the quality you don't really mind like it doesn't kind of grate on you it's not it's one of those riffs you can kind of hear endlessly like you know like i can't get enough of it like, i can't get enough of the intro getting into yeah. the solo and I love the lick that opens the solo and then returns later in the song. The wow, now, 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 now. Like they just, they, they fit so well. Hetfield's riff and Kurt's guitar there. Yeah. Um, I like the tone down in the center of the song where with the violin, mm-hmm. that sounds really good right in the center. Um, whatever. I'm not sure what James is trying to say there, but it, it really makes the song complete with that there. Yeah, yeah, it does. That is kind of the the real kind of tributary of the of the tribute, as it were, the stream. Uh, you know, the heartfelt, emotional outpouring. Yeah, the the heavy the heavy stops, and it's like now it's it's over. His life is over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is how we're going to deal with it. Yeah, and you know, there's there's many ways to deal with that. There is the kind of uh, you know the the realist, the coming to terms approach that we hear from from the spoken word poem, and then also the more anguished uh, unbridled primitive reaction that you can have to grief that we see in kirk solo which i'm pretty sure i read online um i think it was in like guitar player magazine in 1989 or something uh in fact here's the quote yeah so kirk was talking about the to live is to die solo quote that's a very straight blues box it was the very last solo i did in the album it was recorded at five in the morning just a few hours before we had to leave for the monsters of rock tour i just played off the top of my head on the other solos i carefully figured out the most appropriate scales for the chord changes but you know there is a lot of structure for me here i think what everyone remembers brad is the way the solo begins with that giant bend and the way he rings the neck it's just drenched with this kill switch it's pretty unforgettable yeah, he's got a lot of uh, hammers, which mm-hmm. I like that, and pulls mm-hmm. on the strings. Yeah, yeah, and there's there is the blues boxing thing that you saying before the 
it and it's you know it is a very singing solo actually and i do really enjoy it and when you see him play actually he is kind of chained into that 12 14 but um you know he he, he does it he does it better in that sense and he just kind of creates something that's a little more captivating that perhaps that quote would suggest i love the switch into the tapping the the way that connects with the chords again they just feel very intertwined anticipating each other's needs getting into the um spoken word poem section you mentioned before and i mean you can't help but get a little teary-eyed when you listen right i mean it's 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 a wonderful kind of pay on to this guy yeah it sounds uh i i would attribute to it sounds exactly what it would feel like to lose a best friend yeah <laughs> it, it is yeah it is that sound you're right I mean, I can't imagine, yeah, what that would feel like, but 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 you're right. I think I, I think I've said this before on the show before, um, prior. I'm sure I have. I remember John Mayer being interviewed about uh, Jimmy Hendrix in Little Wing, and he was just you know saying how incredible it is, and you know it's very short. And he was like, it's like it's like your grandfather coming back to life for two minutes or something like that. It's like the sound of that, and it's like yeah, to live is to die is the sound of losing the best friend, and it and it is haunting for that reason. Um, James actually said in Mojo magazine December uh, 2008 that the song is quote an homage to Cliff without going over the top. It's about realizing how grateful we were to have that time with him and there's loads of cliff isms in the song you know the harmonizing guitars towards the end and the way they build hark back to stuff they've been demonstrating you know since the early days and you know maybe perfected uh, on, on orion but again i love this interplay what would you make of the harmony lines as we go towards the end of the song yeah it sounds like they're all singing together mm. with their instruments yeah. harmonizing <laughs> all of the instruments together kind of mourning as one it does it yeah yeah that's deep and it and it it really really does actually and um i love the sound of the guitar the clean arpeggio it almost sounds like through some sort of fm radio or some gramophone or something it feels really ancient as ancient and as lived in as the introductory um overlapping layers the sinews of the classical guitar which i just scorch into my mind i just think that the the, it's kind of hard to put into words really but the certain slides there are so mischievous that i find endlessly uh captivating but but yeah and then we have another solo james does a solo like what do you prefer kirk or james's solo in the song um i like james yeah he's uh he's a little bit slower on his solo a little bit more heartfelt, right? In yeah, it's way. like his best friend is right there in front yeah. of him. Yeah, in a ca- in a coffin. Wow, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I, I guess it is. I guess you're right. It is. Yeah. Um, and I think Orion was played at Cliff's funeral. As in, I think they played like a recording of it. I don't think obviously they didn't play it. But um, and again, you know, a lot of Cliff all over this song. I'm not entirely sure what parts of it he had written already I'm, I'm pretty certain that a lot of the music was written prior maybe the majority of it but as we as we get back after these melody lines which again are you know really kind of adventurous and playful and i really admire them uh through kirk and kirk and james there we get back into the song with the riffs and the is back as well and then the song closing with the kind of just endless boom, boom, boom kind of idea and then getting into the classical mode at the end. I don't know if you noticed yourself, but like I love the way that the song ends with the classical piece and then goes straight into Dyer's Eve from that, which obviously Dyer's Eve is just, uh, you're in it. like Yeah, it abruptly stops. Yeah. Uh, I, I really love the end of it without uh, any drums. It's just the guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. It kind of pronounces those... Um, those... Uh, 
part of the song. It pronounces the whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it does put it on a pedestal and it does offer you time for reflection as well, as the intro does. And it is just a bit of a a breathtaking piece of music, I think, from top to bottom. And in different hands, the spoken word piece could perhaps become, you know, slightly cheesy, dare to say. But I think here it works really well. And it's not like them singing a song where the chorus is about Cliff and it's his life. And you know, they did that with Murder One with Lamey and stuff like that. But this is more metallic, isn't it? This is more tasteful, I suppose. Yeah, they're talking with their instruments. They yeah. they don't need words in this sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, it's just... Where do you rank it overall in terms of Metallica instrumentals? Uh, this is my favorite song. Your favorite song ever by Metallica? Uh, yeah, of of any of any band. Of any band? Yeah, Damn. this is this is the top of it. Okay, top of my list. Okay, that's that, I like that. I like that definitiveness. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, any any final thoughts on uh, "To Live Is To Die"? I just think it's a great song, and if you could listen to the whole thing all the way through, uh, almost ten minutes long, then you would never forget it i think and just to quote what goes on to the song um from james uh by cliff i think cliff added to this uh i think it was a poem by paul gerhardt who was a writer from the 17th century but the um the quote is when a man lies he murders some part of the world these are the pale deaths which men miscall their lives all this i cannot bear to witness any longer cannot the kingdom of salvation take me home thoughts on those words brad it's pretty deep yeah very deep is, is that the fort just pretty deep yeah it's it's pretty <laughs> deep um the whole poem is kind of strange i think he took out some of it and kind of added added his own so yeah. this is kind of his own version of that poem maybe that's how he saw uh kind of the world at his time or his life mm. um yeah, it's um, Paul Gerhardt. Apparently, it's popularized. He's a German poet in the 1981 film Excalibur, and uh, yeah, sort of the like like the song itself, which takes heed from Cliff. Cliff was taking heed from uh, Paul and uh, putting it in his own words. And um, "To Live Is To Die" is also obviously the name of a um, biography of Cliff Burton that was written by a good friend of the show, Joel McIver, though um, we did "And Justice for All the Truth" about Metallica uh, and that was a really really fun chat to go through so um yeah as we always do guys we reach out to you on twitter uh, at metallica pod deep purple podcast says maybe the greatest metallica instrumental a great tribute to the late cliff burton phil says the last truly great metallica instrumental suicide and redemption was a valiant effort but ended up sounding more like a real good jam session than a fully realized song i also love the brief appearance the middle portion of the song makes right after jason's bass solo on the seattle 89 video very cool moment Ian says, can't pick a best between Orion and this one. Great composition, skillfully played. The right amount of technicality and emotion. Ralph says, Metallica plays tribute to Cliff in this beautiful but spectacularly sad dirge-like tune. This unfortunately was also the major rages on the four-string motherfucker. Last writing credit on a Metallica song. Love the classical sounding guitars in the fading and out. Great solo for Kirk and James here. Slow, sludgy feel makes the song heavy as hell. I think the spoken word part is mostly from a poet writer from the 17th century called Paul Gerhardt. But Cliff penned the last line. Fantastic instrumental, but still only their third best behind Orion and Cthulhu. 
Uh, Alucard says a very badass yet emotional song. Connor says always thought the clean guitar section in the heart of the song is one of James's most brilliant and beautiful moments, the most atmospherical moment on this album. Uh, Mark says second best instrumental behind Orion. The slow bridge is the best part of the song. And finally, uh, Master Pun says very melancholic, heavy opening riff, and that clean interlude always hits me hard. The only gripe is ha- the only gripe I have is when it was first performed. James didn't play his fucking solo. Now um, it has been performed live, Brad, as Master Pun just said. Have you watched a live performance on the uh, anniversary? Shows. yes i did watch that um i didn't like it i thought it was played too fast mm. and they skipped some parts in yeah. my opinion the especially the beginning the beginning annoyed me like i knew they would skip it i knew it'd be a tape i understand that but i would have loved to have seen that played yeah the just just the drum at the beginning and and then the dead guitar sound i didn't like that i i, I it definitely played it too fast i think yeah as they mostly do and like a song like that as well is just it's all about keeping that tempo straight and just having that you know that prowling sense to it and yeah you're right it is a little fast it is fucking cool though to see it play live that one time i love that they did it and everyone in the crowd is going crazy and kirk doesn't really quite handle the solo as he should but again this is the first time i've ever played it. i understand that it is a bit annoying though that kirk takes james's solo i don't really understand why that happens I'm I'm kind of glad that it only they only played it one time. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it back. Maybe like you know, S and M too. <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I could see that. I could see them maybe doing that. Maybe, but uh, I hope so at least. But yeah, guys, uh, if you weren't aware, they do play it at the anniversary show, and um, I think it was last year. I was uh, the copy I was watching this morning was from last year. So if you remember, most of the stuff from the anniversary shows has this really obnoxious watermark on it i think it's like father mucker or something and it's you know it's blazoned on the screen like a sort of bumper sticker but um yeah metallica seem to have did all their pro shot footage at the time and they're slowly releasing it i don't know if there's any more out but there is like a pro camera setup hd of them doing to live is to die uh in san francisco for the 30th anniversary shows 2011 with skinny james there and um yeah it is too fast but still it's really fucking cool to see it, especially the middle sections when it breaks down and the harmonies and they uh they get james's voiceover tape play don't they for the poem yeah that's that's pretty cool because it's a, a little deeper yeah uh younger james voice yeah, definitely, and he's kind of rocking out beneath it, and he just kind of lost in it. And he, he especially reminds me, you know, of the footage of them whenever they're with Lou Reed, like, and James just in his element, just riffing out, and you know, not really having to be laboured by the microphone in that way. <laughs> Just Follow has a lot of songs that is just punching your face. Mm. Starts Blackened oh, and yeah. a album that starts Blackened and ends with Dire's Eve, you know, that's punching your face all the time. Mm. And I think the fact that Dire's Eve is the, one of the shortest songs of the band, I think that's, you know, most expressive. Even more, more expressive. Yeah, definitely. You know, as you say, Justice does have a lot of long numbers. Has two nine-minuters. 
but you know statistically Daisy falls beneath that and for me it's a very it's a very strong song like you know it, it grips you I think and there's lots of interesting yeah. stuff the way the main riff just to jump ahead slightly but that main sort of riff which is anchored by that you know very dissonant move of a semitone on a fretboard uh, you know it's got nah, 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 it's kind of hypnotic kind of buzzsaw there's certain bleeds in that riff there's certain very subtle tempo changes that make the thing more affecting yeah uh, as you say the tempo changes and the the main riff is very fast and mm. carries and the the next part is slow again and it's slow kind of slow because mm. the song is fast as hell <laughs> mm. and yeah i think it's, a, it's just amazing metallica has a a great uh, kudos to james and lars that form of composing the song you know mm. even the tempo changes the the music just it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. No, really don't don't cause uh, kind of. Wow, that tempo was strange. No, it's just fluid, and you you right. even don't you even don't realize the tempo change sometimes. I think it's amazing. You know, it opens with a, a clatter and clashing of riffs, sort of building, yeah, and they're sort of breeding in themselves, there's mitosis, they're splitting, you know, there's lots of percussion, lots of audible drum kit, especially the sort of countdown that Lars does as we get into the main riff. Yeah, man, drums on song is um, just perfect, yeah. No, and I, I think that one of the greatest large jobs because you know uh, I think the drums is not just uh, how fast is you how fast you can play the mm. bass etc I think is the feeling and Lars has a feeling for you know every song and in this song so if it's so perfect as I say it's so perfect and I think it's, it's great it's great just the countdown and main riff so good it has such weight behind it such fury you know you yeah the, yeah there's a there's a contrast really because this main riff is just this attacking sort of you know bullish battery style thing that you compared it to earlier but then the the verses it's very sort of traditional metal the verses where hetfield's literally playing a chord you know, and then singing over that chord, then changing, and there's a sequence here, but there's nothing going on between that's like in the main riff. It kind of has this really mad introduction and, and kind of counter melody, and then the actual verses uh, sort of subdued. Yeah, it's kind of simple. Hmm. Yeah, very simple. The the curls. I, I think the the vocals, James on the vocals and Lars do the curls. If you take off the drums and the rage on James' voice. The curls is kind of basic, too much. Bass on the curls uh, is too good. Mm. But we can hear on the record. <laughs> yeah. My, but I think, yeah, it's a curse that is simple mm. Mm. on yeah. guitar, but drums and james on the vocals and yeah and just the the you know the conscious appeal dear mother dear father 
is how all these verses yeah. begin. You know, innocence torn from me. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a lot of repetition here lyrically that I think works with it because it is such a shifting cubist painting of a song in many ways. You know, it just has all these different angles to it and all these different stop starts. And reminds me a little bit of, say, something like End of the Line, um, which has those sort of, you know, sort of pirouetting sort of rhythms there. Occasionally they'll stop and move into each other. And, uh, you know, I think the song is an utter success. You know, seriously, badass Metallica song. Love this song. Um, the yeah. s- what are your thoughts on the solo, Lucas? Man, I think it's uh, one of the most underrated songs. When the the people talk about Darius they mm. always talk about drums. Mm. And the solo was kind of underrated. I think Kirk does a real good job in the whole album. And Darius just... Delivers all the song mm. once, you know. And then I think it's a great soul. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if was the one of the best of the eighty the Metallica on the eighties. I think uh, I think there's a lot of better souls. Mm. But yeah, it's a great solo. Mm. Yeah, it just it's not a bad solo. Um... I think there's a lot of just Kirkism pentatonicness that I just sort of don't really care. About. <laughs> but he does have this way, and I'm not going to try and <laughs> reproduce yeah. it on the podcast. He has this he, he has this way of choosing big notes to just pull off out of nowhere to sort of introduce changes. And I think Hetfield carries him rhythm wise. Like Hetfield's always got like Mustaine has dope rhythms for people to solo on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James carries the that rhythm part very well too, and the riff is dope. Even if you don't get to listen to close because the solo is playing, mm. I think it's a great um, riff too. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. The, the riff that follows the solo, especially. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. You, you don't... It's kind of... You, you don't feel that solo is, is with an empty background. You mm. know, it, the the rhythm's punching over there and drums and makes the solo so good too. <laughs> it's just it, yeah, it's a relentless uh, onslaught, but it's so artistically done. As is this band, as always, and I think everyone is firing on the cylinders. I imagine Jason was. I can't hear it. Uh, as everyone else struggles too as well. But uh, you know, hopefully we'll get some sort of remaster. Um, but. Yeah, as a song, James's vocal performance as well, I think, is terrific. He's really purging himself, you know, on this track. Um, I, I love, as I say, the, stand, the fact that the uh, song stops and turns on a dime. I think it's a real tour de force for a lot of this sort of music that Metallica was making. Um, I, I love the song, Lucas. Yeah, I love it too. And the lyrics are so powerful, you know. Mm. I love that the kind of writing style from James, especially for, uh, from this era, mm. um, 88 to 96, when we, yeah, he writes songs that it's he, you know, mm. Dire Eve, The God That Failed, Mama Said, that songs, it's he talking about himself and his parents and his moms and he, and the beliefs that his parents has 
on his childhood and I think man just blow me away you mm. know that the out the lyrics are so powerful especially the rage and the second curls that fucking lullaby mm. I love I love it yeah, yeah. James doesn't swear that often. Um, he swear he swore a lot in Saint Anger, but just this era, it was impactful again to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Because you listen one time in Damage Inc. Mm. in Master of Puppets, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't remember if he he cursed on Ride the Lion. I don't remember. No, no. And either kid at all. No, too. And you will listen to the song and fucking all of it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of imagine you know, that, on, on that time, and people, okay. Mm. <laughs> James is, is really pissed off over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, pissed off to the extent that they played this song live firstly in 2010. I think it was like, when was it? 2009, I think? No, 2004, sorry. 2004. 2004, Medley Finger 2. Yeah. Is it? March 5th. On my birthday, weirdly enough. But uh, why do you reckon they waited so long to perform this? I don't know. Um, I read one time uh, an article, I, I don't remember, hmm. that the songs from Just For All, they don't want to play it. Hmm. On the... On the tour, eh? and man, that is this is a so powerful song that I think it, if he if it if he, if it was played back in the day, I think man, because you know the, the performance wasn't bad, but I don't know. I, I think that needs more, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel that as well. But 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 I love it to hear, like. <laughs> here, here, there is a live. I think the the blaster thing. I I in Rock in Rio, mm. they played uh, the Friends of Sanity, and oh my god, mm. <laughs> you know that same feeling. Cousin Just for Always is my favorite album, mm. and have this special feeling, you know, with the songs and man. I think that there is if live delivers kind of just to the song, to the studio version. I think. By the way, they won't play the song to uh, since 2010, mm. is it? Yeah, yeah, not since then. Yeah, eight eight years, mm. and. Since this, and I don't think they, that they will play it again. No, no, I can't. I can't see it creeping back into the set, to be honest. But um, it's it's a great yeah. song. It's a. I mean, we haven't mentioned how demanding it is for Lars, like as a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Because most of Metallica of Metallica fans kind of get pissed off about Lars and doing that. Lars is Lars scissors. I'm sorry. <laughs> During that lyricisms and kind of ruins the song, they think. But I think that 
uh, a set list that has a soft puppets. That, that songs that needs more from mm. Lars. There's if would catch uh, a place that I don't know can go cups of sorrow. That songs that isn't easy, mm. but they can uh, he can play. You know. <laughs> 